0: I don't think I'm a very good father. You are. You're. You're okay.
1: You've tried. That's all we can do.
0: Maybe the poison drips through.
1: No. No.
2: Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits of Succession Season 4, Episode 8, America Decides. Where America does in fact not decide, (laughs) I'm Trey.
3: And I'm Kelsey.
2: So, I don't want to be dramatic on the pod today and say I got like 2016 PTSD because I think we've analyzed this show so deeply that we're both so aware that this is a satire on our culture, Mm -hmm. but this episode did recreate the 2016 election feeling better than any movie or show I've ever seen.
3: Yeah, it's like we've said in every pod this season so far that succession's a satire. But yeah. the pointed commentary in this episode is not only focused on the delusional Roy children and their god complex, but <laughs> more so their toy, which is ATN. And yeah. the fact that it has the power to manipulate reality and the current truth of millions of viewers and drive the conversation of voters. Mm-hmm. And, like, yes, on one hand, ATN is very transparent. And it's just like a reactionary contrarian news network who will probably be stuck in lawsuits for the next months, as we're told at the end of the episode, like they didn't actually elect the president. But the reason that this episode hits so hard is that we understand the major consequences and power that news networks and like rhetoric holds. Yeah, yeah. So when Shiv, you know, at the end of the episode says, no, Roman, things do happen because he says nothing matters. Right. She's right, but not for the Roy family, obviously, which we'll continue to talk about.
2: Yeah, that is what is so masterful about this episode and Armstrong being the sole writer on this one. You can really tell like he has thought really long and hard about how he wants to write these final three episodes because he's mm-hmm. the sole writer on these final three episodes. And you can really feel him at his best here. I think episode eight is an excellent script. It's really well staged. It's perfectly performed by everyone. And I think we're getting like, way more 10 out of 10 episodes than I thought we would. Yeah, Um, I really was just thinking we'd get maybe episode one, number 10, and then one of the random ones along the season to be great. But this is another great one to add on what we had to last week. And I think what's so dynamic about this episode is that Armstrong got us as close as he could to recent, very real election night problems Mm -hmm. and actual political stakes that you're talking about. And then he illustrates how, American media can manipulate viewers and contextualize the news with convenient, commercially attractive narratives. And even though we haven't seen this exact scenario of 100,000 votes burned to dust before in US history, there have been notable election catastrophes where the media couldn't actually deliver any tangible news on their 24-7 cycle, but their whole business model is to appear to have actual tangible information. But really, all they do is try and shape the national mood and get people addicted to like refreshing their feed and flipping on Fox or CNN. Mm-hmm. So even though this episode, America Decides, felt like a major episode where a consequential election was decided because of sibling beef over steak and chicken, yeah. I think instead we're finally witnessing the symbolic death of these siblings that we keep talking about for every pot episode now for weeks, which is that we're seeing the fall of all of these siblings.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just kind of hilarious that episode eight is all three siblings basically realizing that they can't separate their market and competitive interests from like this ultra-nationalist conservatism. Yeah. Aside from Roman, Shiv and Kendall seem to be having the most difficult time from it, like just trying to deal with the fact you can't be a good person, or at least in the ways they want to be good people. Yeah, it's my extra
3: credits, actually.
2: Okay, well, that makes sense, because they're like in oligarch-like positions, and they're trying to be good people, and they're trying to negotiate that, and they don't know how, and they're falling apart because of it. So this kind of like political and economic lens Armstrong is riding through with Kendall and Shiv is the most fascinating to me. So I'm excited to hear what you say about it later, because I think this moral dissonance that they have represents this myth of progressive capitalism that I hear Armstrong talk about a lot, And using these characters to show how these type of people are so delusional and thinking that they can leave the world in a better place while also abusing the market the way they do, I Mm -hmm. think is so smart. And I think it's one of actually the smartest scripts I've seen in all of Succession. There's just like a a ton of ethical dilemmas and moral contradictions that Armstrong and his team pepper in throughout this show. But this episode specifically is really like a political, economic philosophy of someone who really knows what they're talking about in Armstrong. And I think it really comes through in a nicely accessible way. And I think he's just one of the smartest writers we have on the subjects in prestige film or television right now.
3: Yeah. And we've said this earlier in the series for our podcast on season four, but also we went more specifically into Armstrong's background in our season one deep dive and he worked in politics. So it makes a lot of sense that this writing is so strong And after the episode, he talked about how the tension at the heart of this episode is people's different political and moral instincts paired with their corporate interests and how those opposite views collide in a very uncomfortable way. And this episode is one of the best collisions, I guess, that we've seen of those different facets of the Roy children's lives that they've been able to keep separate until now in different situations like turning on the killer in business to impress dad Mm -hmm. or appearing to have progressive values to the pierces or to their boss in Shiv's case or his family in Kendall's case. But now that they're in charge of waystar, they're kind of confronted with who they really are and that they'll always lean towards power, like the values that they grew up in being raised by Logan. But like we've been saying all season raised by capitalism, really right. And in episode eight, Armstrong demonstrates the consequences of the siblings knowing better, at least in Shiv and Kendall's case, but Mm -hmm. continuing this competitive cycle. And then the reach that this toxic family has, especially owning a news organization.
2: Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, even in the most serious succession episodes, they can be darkly funny. That's kind of the whole point of Mm -hmm. the show, but this episode felt different because it, it doesn't have that Dark comedy mockumentary style, making fun of the wealthy and all the power. Yeah, it's so elevated
3: situations we've never been in. Right in
2: a fantasy wealthy land where we're cheering on these characters from afar to backstab one another and and use chess moves. You know, to a lesser extent of how we talk about Mm it. Whereas in episode eight, it the real consequences are very clear and transparent, and the Roy family aren't just kind of like backstabbing one another. They're actually trying to kill the culture by giving Mankin a platform.
3: Yeah, or culture is like the casualty. Of them backstabbing. And it's very clear in this episode.
2: Yeah, the heaviness of this episode reminded me of Shiv speaking with the survivor from the cruise line. Oh, yeah. And she was tampering with the witness and pressuring her not to take the stand against Waystar. And I guess both this episode from season four and the cruise line episode from season two are kind of made in that similar mold where you see the immediate impact on people's lives when the Roy siblings are competing for power in very petty ways.
3: Yeah. It's not like we're on the top of a mountain negotiating for Gojo with Mattson. Um, And there have been other times where they are dealing with like the cruise line situation. And obviously there are impacts on people's lives, but this one does feel similar, I think to what you're talking about, like Shiv's conversation in the park or times we see Logan face to face with people that, the corporation Waystar is actually impacting. Acting, yeah. So I, I think that's a great take. And in this episode, we see the Roy's, you know, pettiness mm. actually giving someone the most, one of the most powerful platforms. So yeah. let's get into it.
2: All right. Let's make a good hour or two of podcasting.
3: <laughs> Alas, <America succession>. decides.
0: <laughs> Here we go. The 5 p.m. 18. All good? Yeah, I'm good. Greg, considering yeah. it, I got to deliver the best election numbers ever because my bosses want to rip my heart out as a peace offering to all comers so no greg you know i'm a little little bit tense just a little bit a little tense well yeah i'm feeling pretty good the
1: tension at the heart of the episode is people's different political instincts their professional interests their corporate interests colliding in this very um direct way and, and we had some great political advisors who who helped us find the way to the particular situation of the of the, of the fire that happens in the episode.
3: Okay, so if it okay, happened- so the protein America decides mm-hmm. the episode is kind of playing on this idea of a true democracy, right? Yeah. Free of corporate hands and money weighing on political decisions, or like the narrative that the roy's are controlling with ATN or a Fox News corporation. Yeah, and it's election night, and. You know this is a big sibling episode, but it's also a big Tom and Greg episode. It
2: is. It was like old Tom and Greg vibes, yeah. not as much fraternity, disgusting brothers energy. Yeah. More like season two, season three, Greg Tom energy.
3: Exactly. It reminded me a lot of the Boar on the floor episode. Yeah, where Tom is is like talking to him. He's like, Greg, yeah. don't tell anyone. Don't <laughs> trust anyone. Um.
4: Yeah, hunting.
3: Yeah, and then so we open with the disgusting brothers, and Tom tells Greg yeah, you know, I'm just a little bit tense because yeah. my boss is going to rip my heart out for a peace offering, like talking about <laughs> the siblings. And we just came off of last episode remembering that Shiv told everyone he wants to be fired. So he has to prove himself that he can like do this job.
2: And he didn't get any sleep the night before, That's which is all true. he really wanted. Marital
3: strife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Greg's like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Even though we know he stayed up all night partying with Matson, I yeah. guess. And Actually, I didn't think about this before, but is Mattson still in New York? Like, is uh, he in a hotel room? Because he was out all night with Greg and Oscar. Yeah, Did I guess he, he has home? to be.
2: Yeah. I don't know. He I stayed in we'll Legoland.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> we start the night with Data Darwin reading the rules and regulations. Do and you know
2: where Adam Godley is from? That where we know him from? The I was trying place to him? place him. He is from Suits. I mean, most people are probably going to know him from Breaking Bad or other Suits. things. But Suits, the USA Network show that we love. Yeah, yeah, was. I know Mike.
3: Suits. I was just trying to think about where he plays I've Nesbitt, seen
2: Nesbitt him. which is like the <laughs> Nigel Nesbitt. He's like the uh, British Lewis.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, he's great in there. Okay, yeah. I I was trying to. He's been in other things too. But he's, he's in the great, so great. too. You
2: like that show too, right?
3: Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Okay. I haven't watched in a while. Yeah. But in <laughs> Data Darwin, he's great in this role mm-hmm. and. He is talking about how there can be no leaks and this is going to be objective and by the book. Yeah. And we obviously know there are no rules in succession. So the siblings are soon like running on the floor and Greg's (laughs) trying to wrangle them. And it legitimately looks like the kids are running around a house fighting and everyone's just trying to be like, go back to your rooms. And the Roy children are effectively deciding who to crown president in their viewers conscious at least. And in their reality. Yeah by pushing their narrative at ATN. So as we said, Jesse Armstrong said the personal political and professional are colliding in this episode, which is why it makes this episode one of the more intense ones to watch. And I think your tweet sums it up. Like right after we watched it, I was trying to just like typed on his uh, phone. He was like succession putting us through the 2016 election again is like the most foul thing they've ever done ever. Yeah. Yeah. Because seeing the siblings like play with fire for their own personal gain and then having it have this impact that is we're, we're like living through right now was really, I mean, it's a satire, obviously, like, so it's right. smart that it's current, but it was, I think people had a really huge reaction to this episode in particular. And Roman even says to Shiv, like, my team is playing your team. Mm-hmm. It's only spicy because if my team wins, like they're going to shoot your team, reminding right. us that this is just a game for them. It's like the tailgate party, whoever's going to win the popcorn or kettle corn At the end of the day. For
2: wealthy people, politics is sports. Yeah, Yeah. but like
3: having, you know, context of American politics, we know the stakes of their coverage will impact people while the siblings will always be fine, as Tom tells Shiv on the balcony at the end of last episode. So this episode, though, really runs on the conflict of shaping the narrative to call Wisconsin Mm -hmm. and then the election for Mencken. And so we'll get into deeper motivations later, I think, with chess moves, especially, but Basically, Roman is pushing for Mencken for personal and business reasons, right? Like Mencken is the scary right-wing politician, but he'll also kill the Gojo deal. And Shiv is pushing for Jimenez, who won't kill the Gojo deal because she's on Team Matson, so that works in her favor. But we can also talk about how far her personal reasons Go realistically. Right. I think that's an interesting conversation to have later. I think for
2: Roman, too. Okay. So both of them might be leading more toward making their decisions for personal reasons. Hmm. Yeah.
3: Okay. And then Kendall appears to be having a moral dilemma. Uh, He's because, good at appearing to yeah. have a moral dilemma. <laughs> he really likes the narrative of the good guy, you know, yeah. and he doesn't <laughs> want Mankin, And he also, though, wants to keep the company. So right. Kendall's morals are pretty flimsy, easily compromised, you know. Yeah. Well, and, people
2: can't cut deals. You yeah. Know? If they could, everything would be better. It would be yeah. fine. Yeah. Kendall for, wouldn't have to do this to the country. <laughs>
3: for really getting a lot of screen time, Um, or I guess- Or a lack of screen yeah. time, just <laughs> his, his name episode, being said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we see that Kendall will cut a deal to prove himself, to acquire power, and rewrite his own narrative. And we, on the surface, see this is because Mencken's going to kill the Gojo deal, yeah. but I think more so- Kendall is sad boy, Roy. Like he makes this call because he finds out that Shiv is with Mattson. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think his feelings are hurt. Yes. So although Mencken isn't president, like he's not president, we see at the end of the night, PGN actually does not make the call that yeah. he won Wisconsin. And People might not, not the have ATN. picked up. Yeah. Yeah. I only picked it up on second watch, but not only do we not see other news networks besides the like, right-wing uh like alt-right i forget what they're called like freedom yeah. something that tom says when he comes in the room he's like they're announcing it and shiv goes oh great the maniacs you know right but so not only are other news channels not announcing that he is a winner but we also know that atn will be in lawsuits for a while right yeah, like for months, months. and yeah. tom is the one who is has the face of of this decision on <laughs> on tv at the end of the night so I wonder how this will pan out in the last two episodes here, Um, especially because we learned that these lawsuits are going to be happening for a long time. Mm -hmm. Will Jesse Armstrong kind of make the comment that the narrative is controlling reality?
2: Yeah, I think they're trying to make the Roy siblings have the power to elect a cultural leader rather than like an actual president, which actually does matter in this stage of late capitalism and media's role in our institutions, like these siblings being basically angry at one another and then controlling who people look to for their information uh, is frightening. And even though they didn't elect a president, they're not the walking electoral college. Um, I think they make it very clear that they do have the power to at least influence millions of people's minds and like who they're going to trust.
3: Yeah. I love when Kendall's like, why is social media like getting this faster than us? Like they, they want to be That was a
2: small element of this episode that I thought was fascinating. It was like the idea that social media has the truth quicker than whatever cable is going to tell them. So like when they were, when Shiv had both Tom and Nate on the phone (laughs) and she was trying to figure out how they (laughs) wanted to control the narrative of these fire bombings in Milwaukee and they were trying to say it was either the Mankinites or Antifa and oh, Kendall
3: Roman says. Yeah.
2: Right. And then Kendall being like, well, tw- if Twitter knows, they, they know so quickly. I mean, what are we supposed to do? We have to like put a story out or something. And it was just this realization that with the access of new digital age and new digital media, we can get information a lot quicker and more truthfully than whatever the 24 seven news cycle is going to put out there for us.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Truthfully is a tough thing too, like because of algorithms, but it's uh, from what I got from that is like Jesse Armstrong was saying, Kendall wants to be Elon Musk so bad. Like he wants to be on the pulse of whatever's the quickest thing. So Mm -hmm. like right now he, uh, was born into the you know, empire of cable television. Mm -hmm. And so he is doing what, what he can in his like wheelhouse to just like drip the poison into the (laughs) public narrative. But he's like, I want it even faster. Like, why are we not social media? Why are we not Twitter? Why
2: are we not hyper local?
3: Yeah. (laughs) But also hyper global. Global. (laughs) All right. So let's, before we go to our awards and our power rankings for today, which I, it's kind of tough for me, honestly. I, I was um, with the power ranking, so I'm interested to see what you have. Let's do ATN Headlines. I think you got it this episode, right? Because there were yeah. so many.
2: I had to re-watch okay. different parts of this episode a few times to find everything. There's so many television screens everywhere yeah. in this episode, and there are like succession Easter eggs from past seasons all around rooms, ATN. There's things written on like on boards, yeah. Behind white while people boards are talking. everywhere, yeah. So let's go chronologically throughout the episode. So starting with Mencken on the TV behind Tom and Greg, who I think Mencken is giving his like election night speech, the pre-elect speech, and he's talking about Democrats sleepwalking into oblivion and illegal immigration and rampant crime. Oh yeah,
3: that's how we open the episode. I
2: think he says cultural Marxism on their side, and uh, that felt like it was a clip from literally Fox News or mm-hmm. the Daily Wire on YouTube or something. And then later on, we see two magazines or newspapers laid out. I guess they're subsidiaries of Waystar. There's yeah. a, a New York Globe one. There's a Boston one. On the Globe one, you have Jimenez on the cover with a Soviet jacket and a Soviet flag. This kind of alt-right image that they're trying to criticize Democrats for being like socialist or something. Yeah. I think it says in the tagline, Republicans say vote no to Dems to avoid being socialist or Soviet era yeah. socialist. And on the title, it says yet," which I guess is no in Russian. And... On the Boston Magazine, a little bit less problematic on this one. It just says, making your vote count. (laughs) Which I'm not going to lie, that is kind of fire. I'm sure they have fun in the writer's room. Yeah. Um, And then there's another blurb on that Boston newspaper that says, Boston woman found guilty for killing her husband on African safari. Interesting. Yeah. So (laughs) there's just like a lot of ATN headlines throughout this episode that are really interesting to pick apart because they are playing with like alt-right language. And like I said, there's a a bunch of small things written on whiteboards that could probably be picked apart for days, but we have two full-time jobs. So this is not, you know, this is not that podcast. Yeah.
3: The only one that I, that stood out to me was like, why do I do what I do when Tom and Greg are in front of the the whiteboard doing Coke? Yeah. And then it doesn't like go down to like funny other, other things I tried to look, but it was like a strategy, but it was just funny. Like, why do I do what I do?
2: (laughs) There is one final Like image in the episode that's really important that you already brought up, which is this kind of like, I kept calling it evil broadcast news box, wherever Tom kept going into to talk to the editors of the ATN. And when Tom is looking at the two TV screens in the room at the end of the episode, one has ATN on, the other has PGN on, which is Pierce. And they weren't reporting Wisconsin as a win for either of the candidates while ATN had Mencken winning Wisconsin. And you can hear the PGN host saying that Tom Wamsgans is to blame for this rushed election result. And they said it was probably an error of judgment or possibly Wamsgans was, you know, maybe had a personal connection to Mencken. So not looking good for old Tom, but that was something that I picked up on at the end.
3: Tom's in the virus situation all over again. Like he has the or the jail situation, right? Like yeah, where he has all infected. the responsibility put on <laughs> him. Yeah. And
2: what does he say to Greg again? Like, can I infect you? I forget what he says. Yeah, oh,
3: oh, yeah. When he's telling you about the cruises, yeah. he's like, "There's a virus, and anyone I tell about it, I will affect effectively kill." Yeah. And he's like, uh, he, like "I touches tell the window you. on
2: the door before yeah. he tells Greg, <laughs> just thinking about how he's gonna tell Greg." Yeah,
3: he's playing with the window, and then Greg's like. <laughs> Uh you know I don't think like I want to die. Yeah. 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 Uh <laughs> Oh my god. It, we'll come back to the idea of trust, okay, mm-hmm. in in Tom and Grace's relationship later on cuz it's so interesting to track it in this season with where the writers are going with it. But the only other ATN headlines that I noticed is we did have this constant, um, like having two networks on. So we had Minkin like on one TV screen and Jimenez on the other TV screen, like throughout the night. Um, and then something that I noticed when Jimenez was giving his speech about how their team was concerned about Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm just an idiot and didn't realize this before, but that, uh, Senator Evis, like Gill, right. The person who Nate and Shiv were working for, yeah. he's vice president on the ticket. The
2: ballot. Oh
3: wow. Yeah. Wait, that
2: makes a lot of sense because why, like, was like, why is
3: Nate there? Is the, he just yeah. involved in the, in the democratic like candidate? Yeah, some Did DNC he get hired party? by Jimenez? Yeah. Like, cause they kept bringing up Gil. I okay. didn't notice that. that makes Maybe sense. they dropped it in another episode and I, I didn't pick it up, but yeah. it was underneath his, um, like his, graphic I, I do
2: think there was something there were a couple things cut from this episode or at least I felt there were with like Sid and then also the Nate party that he was oh at. yeah I like, feel like Sid the, was
3: fired and yeah. we didn't I feel like there was definitely that was filmed because yeah. Tom and Sid's relationship is so like great and fiery
2: right yeah
3: um the last thing is the picture of Ronald Reagan
2: yeah, do you want to, you want to shout the desk
3: with Logan. Pat
2: yourself on the back yeah. here cuz this is a good spot.
3: Yeah, actually I am proud of myself for finding this Easter egg. I think it's because we've made this ATN headline segment that I'm really looking in the background. Yeah, we're like trying to search. <laughs>
2: yeah. I wonder if listeners are doing that too. Yeah, like I like did they bring the this details. one up? Yeah,
3: let us know if you spot any ATN headlines or like details that yeah, hit us we social. didn't notice in in the background of the episode, but here we're in. It's spe- towards the beginning of the episode, and Kendall and Shiv are in the shot, and they're right at Logan's desk in the ATN office upstairs. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of Ronald Reagan with a younger Logan. I think they're shaking hands on Logan's desk, and I think that's to show us that this is just a Roy family tradition to cut a deal with the president. Like, yeah. And, and we tweeted it, so you can go look at the picture, so you don't have to go back to the episode, um, so you can see the the actual photo, mm-hmm. but it's showing that this is just another Tuesday, right? right? For, for the Roy's it's like, they are, the election's just a game. Like it's putting the president or someone in power in their pocket is the yeah. goal.
2: They're always just caring about who's going to help the most with regulation. That's basically yeah. it. And then maybe culturally too.
3: Yeah. And we see at the beginning of this episode, like Logan's politics do align with, ATN, like he, Mm -hmm. you know, giving his huge speech on the Xerox boxes. And so I think Armstrong's playing with this idea, especially putting that picture in the background of like how the children are deciding to like compromise their, what they think is right for Mm -hmm. ultimately like their own corporate interests and like what they were born into. It's still like the same family tradition of the, the poison dripping through. Like it, right. it, that is kind of the thesis of the, sh- the episode in the show.
2: It's the generational trauma that continues. Yeah. And that's kind of what Kendall meant by the poison dripping through. It just keeps going.
3: Yeah. But I mean like in a business decision sense too, like even though they know what's right, like the poison drips through in every aspect of their lives. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So let's go on to our awards. Really the quickly before moment. we do,
2: um, okay. before we get to cringy moments, because I have a I have a big one. um I wanted to note that I've been wondering what every actor and writer has been talking about when they've said that Succession could have went on for like three or four more seasons, but like at a high level. And I think this episode was the first example of like Newsroom. Yeah. Like Sorkin. Okay. I felt that show where I'm like, this could actually go for three or four more seasons. Like I was thinking of Industry, which is another one of our favorite Mm -hmm. HBO shows right now. And I was thinking about how that show could go on for 10 seasons if it really wanted to. Yeah. And Succession really could turn into a media-specific show.
3: Yeah, well, actually, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking, especially, you know, when you already noted, like, Tom was in the, like the decision room, mm-hmm. um, the boards, evil behind, broadcast
2: news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Like making those decisions, especially when he was yelling at them for the touch screen. Yeah. But also when Darwin was reading the terms of and conditions to everyone, and then we get a shot of the anchors and it's like Ravenhead, who we've already seen. And then the, these two like blonde women. And I could see Jesse Armstrong creating like a spinoff of just the newsroom, like of just ATN, which we get snippets of throughout the series, but I would I would watch the whole show of Jesse Armstrong writing a broadcast news.
2: I would watch I mean, I would definitely watch that. I would watch most things. Jesse Armstrong would make (laughs) in the future. Uh, But I was thinking more of PGN and thinking of like Kendall and his siblings buying PGN and what that would have been like to watch a group of uh, kind of paranoid, delusional conservatives who don't believe that they are running a liberal media network. Yeah. That is more true to life, I think. And I would be more curious about what that would look like yeah and the inner workings of what you choose to cover and why and when and who you let speak about it exactly um, yeah so anyways i was just i wanted to note that because i can totally see now what, what they meant because i thought when they said this show could do four more seasons it was going to be like sibling dynamic stuff and i'm like i think i'm good i don't we don't we don't actually need four more seasons i would of watch siblings four, i would
3: watch four more seasons but i okay. know that the quality wouldn't like it would, it would be up there bit. exactly yeah. yeah
2: all right so cringy moments so i don't know if cringy is the word i'd use to describe my moment for this award because cringy feels too light, but this was the best category for Jesse Armstrong's probably most unsettling creation in the succession universe, which is Jared Mankin, the president elect possibly. And I think he's
3: chilling character.
2: Yeah, for sure. It felt like a Batman villain a little bit. I think he's difficult to watch on screen because of how animated he is. Uh, but also because of the very real parallel to actual figures in our reality. Yeah. In saying that, just to repeat what we said at the top of the pod, we don't need to politically virtue signal here like half the succession internet seems to be. I don't think I've seen Twitter this divided on a succession episode ever. Um, and that's mostly because we don't need to say anything right now because our podcast has basically addressed the satire of this show, unpacking the evil and generational trauma of the Roys for weeks now. Um, but yeah, and
3: like their impact. But yeah, we've been talking about we've it. We've been the doing whole, it. We know well, yeah. we've been... I think addressing it as like a satire where if you're not like viewing it through that lens from the very beginning, then you are getting attached to characters instead of like understanding maybe what Armstrong is like making a comment about or focusing on that.
2: Right. And the sympathizing with the characters too. But specifically on Mencken and this creation from Armstrong, he is such a gross presence and his platform being a product of the Roy's ambivalence is the kind of unsettling cringy part of this episode. Mm-hmm. He's, this guy is like an openly fascist person that seems to be more of like a feature of our contemporary global politics and really less of a bug. You're seeing Mencken-like figures all over the world. Yeah, And for Jesse Armstrong, I think writing Mencken's bigoted, divisive speech was purposely crafted to provoke audiences who have been forgiving the Roys or even justifying their actions throughout these four seasons because... These siblings just gave a platform to an autocrat who is appealing to alt-right groups. So I think it's important to try and unpack this speech a bit because I think it's a direct consequence to Americans platforming and glorifying privileged celebrity figures and billionaires in the succession world, but also in our very real world. Or even maybe treating those figures like they're a joke, like they can't have a serious impact on culture, which the Roy siblings do prove, even though they seem like they are, it's all sibling banter and they're all trying to backstab one another. It doesn't have an effect on regular people. They very much do have a, a very kind of large effect on very real people. So let's go ahead and play this speech and then try to see what Jesse is doing here.
5: The election has been called from by an authority of known integrity. Maybe we should get um, like a history guy, mm. you know, like a
0: brain, like a real brainiac to say why this sort of thing has happened in the past and that it'll all be fine.
5: To my critics, I am not a demagogue. I am a defender of democracy. But democracy, it has this tendency that we have to beware to become mere transaction. I give you this, you give me that. I come begging for your vote. Welfare checkbook. Out, crowning the welfare kings and queens till everyone's become a little tyrant crowned by the state. The model that I follow isn't from the scorched marketplace where cunning men haggle for the best price. That's not me. The democracy I believe in is where a leader emerged from the people, willed almost into being brought forth by the great sweetness of the virtue of the combined wisdom of the good people of this Republic. Don't we long sometimes for something clean once in this polluted land? That's what I hope to bring. Not something grubby with compromise, something clean and true and refreshing. He's a guy we can do business with. Yeah. Something proud and pure. No place. So-
2: very this nice. is obviously like a textbook demagogue, populist, fascist bullshit speech. Yeah. And it's no need to like really unpack it word by word. But I do want to point out a couple things. First, I think it's clear Mencken just like completely used the siblings. And at one point he says, the election has been called for me by a figure with known integrity. And yeah. we cut to Tom talking to Greg <laughs> yeah. about getting like a historian on. To, yeah. We
3: need a big brain. Yeah.
2: Tell people that this has happened before yeah. history. And Tom is basically trying to pre save himself from future bad press. Mm-hmm. So he's just constantly. Even pre- though it's based on things. the news
3: like the next second. Yeah. yeah.
2: So that didn't exactly work out for him. Um, so Megan goes on to talk about why in his views, democracy doesn't work and why he doesn't believe in welfare using titles like Welfare King and Queen Stereotypes that Reagan used, which goes back to that Reagan photo at the beginning of the episode. So there's a kind of through line there. And then Macon basically does a whole speech full of bigoted, subtle language, alt-right conservative verbal cues, trying to appeal to like a white supremacist based that I'm not even sure that Kendall and his siblings even know those figures. Now we think Roman might, but it's just fascinating because when Macon is finishing up his speech, we cut to Kendall and Macon goes... The democracy I believe in is where a leader emerged from the people, willed almost into being and willed basically by Kendall in this moment. So it's great writing from Armstrong just to remind the listeners that the only reason this speech was possible and the only reason if there's any kind of like consequence from this speech uh, through the country and culturally is because of sad boys like Kendall yeah. controlling the media in this way. And Kendall looks like he is almost excited or pleased that he got this affirmation from this fascist figure. And I think that is the ultimate point that that Armstrong really wants to get home, that it is because of just morally bankrupt families controlling things like media that are able to get cultural figures like Macon out there.
3: Yeah. When I heard the word willed, I immediately thought of like a religious context, yes. right? Which yeah. is... I think showing us that Kendall has this God complex that mm-hmm. he was able to put someone in a powerful position like his dad was able to do. Yeah. And then also though, you're right. Like sad boy, Roy Kendall continuing the the family tradition, except for Kendall specifically, he didn't get affirmation from his dad and mm-hmm. he is being affirmed like in that moment. And so I think that is why we see him validated. In yes, his choice. exactly.
2: And I think what's probably most sad cringy tragic all the awards honestly even chess move counts here not funny though about the end of the speech is that mankin says his thing about cleaning up polluted lands yeah and then it cuts to kendall the number one boy and in this moment when we're looking at kendall like my thought is like five percent of me is like this is the guy that 30 minutes ago was trying to stick up for his sister in like a pseudo masculine way where he's like hey you better watch it tom and I did love that. We're going to get into it later. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, is there a part of me that believes that he's going to look at making and go, hey, you better watch it. But no, yeah. instead he says, he's a guy we can do business with. Yeah. Which-
3: tough. Uh yeah, as well I mean especially because we have the context from his conversation with Rava yeah. and also this episode that Sophie is yeah, feeling daughter. yeah, scared, got pushed in in the streets. And so like we there was a, a part of me too that I was like, "Kendall, are you going to
2: do something about this?" Yeah, do
3: something that you know is right. And yeah. I think that is exactly what you're talking about like This idea of even our number one boy, Kendall, who I think Armstrong and just hearing him talk in interviews has like the most sympathy for. For sure. He is like stamping like, hey, everyone, just in case you didn't notice, like all these people, while they are complicated, complex people, like they hold so much power that. When they have a moment of weakness, or maybe it's more accurate to say like sociopathic tendencies (laughs) of, you know, uh, such a hardened idea of wanting more wealth and power that their decisions are ultimately impacting people and even his daughter who he knows is in danger.
2: Yeah. And just a note, we usually don't break down monologues in this podcast. We usually explore a lot of character motivations and intentions of the creatives. But I felt like this speech had to be unpacked a bit because what Armstrong is doing here by using Mencken's language of polluted land of America and trying to clean it up. It was some real New York City, Travis Bickle, taxi driver type shit, like proud boy stuff and make America great again elements of that speech too. And I just feel like it's really important to understand that Armstrong's intention was to show how Kendall put Mencken in power.
3: Yeah. It's not just pointing at this scary figure. It's saying like the Roy children gave him power. Like this is how that happens. And So my cringiest moment actually connects to this idea of Kendall, which is just watching Kendall freeze throughout this episode. Like there are multiple times where we see Roman and Shiv making moves, calling people, and then we cut to Ken and he's like in quicksand or something. And Mm -hmm. I think the cringe comes from that tension of like wanting Kendall not to follow in his dad's footsteps. Like we come off of the last episode where Nate tells him very directly, you're not your dad. And that's a good thing. Right. 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 And so we see him going back and forth between that. Like he doesn't want to make moves like his dad would. Um, but at the same time he wants power. So like yeah. there's a scene with Roman where he says like, Hey, are you going to call Jimenez? Like I already have Mankin on the phone cause I'm meeting face to face. And Kendall's like, no, like it seems sweaty to to <laughs> like call him. And Roman's like, I mean, it seems like today's the day, like today's right. the moment for maximum leverage, leverage for a yeah. company. And Kendall doesn't want to make that move. But at the same time, he's like genuinely irked or like mad that Minken only wants face to face with Roman yeah. because he wants to be so desperately the person who uh, the other person on the other line is saying yeah. yes to, right? It must like be Logan. when we see him talking to Jimenez, we see it so desperately. Like he wants to be in a deal, like cut a deal like Logan. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other cringy part of this is that phone call where I think at the end, he subtly threatens Jimenez. He's like, okay, well, my mission is to make everything fair tonight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so he's like, if you don't call me back, like if we don't push this deal through, things won't be fair. At least that's how I read it.
2: Well, he also tells him to drink some water. So he was, Kendall was caring. I, Jimenez. Uh,
3: I don't know. <laughs> I didn't get the stay <laughs> hydrated comment there yeah. from him, but I think the, again, the, the freezing Kendall and then also the performative Kendall is what makes him so cringe. So like, then we see Rava on the phone with Kendall at the very beginning and we see her just so upset, right. That he is using this covert surveillance to show that he cares for his child who is suffering the consequences of his decisions throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And Kendall says like, it's an extra layer of bubble wrap uh, for a problem that he is actively participating in, right. With ATN and causing. Yeah. So he tells Sophie that he loves her and he, that she is basically why he does what he does. And it was big Logan, Logan. everything I do, I do for my kids vibes that we saw in the family therapy episode and throughout season one. And so it was, it was really cringy to see Kendall kind of full form, his own evil sibling arc.
2: Are you done with Kendall? Because I also have to talk about a fully formed evil sibling.
3: Okay. Yeah. No, I'm good.
2: All right. Let's talk about Roman. Okay. Yeah. So we have, you know, the rise of Roman, I think is the best thing to call it. I know that I said Roman fell two episodes and I know I said he was basically killed last episode, but this really does feel like the rise of a Roman, the dark seated Roman that was always in him. Yeah.
3: Somewhere in my notes, I wrote that he was like full Sith.
2: Yes, exactly. Full set forward at this point. Whether it was helping Ravenhead, which was cringy with the talking points to do his best Bill O'Reilly, Stephen Crowder, Tucker Carlson impersonation, or later it was Roman pressuring Tom and Darwin to call the election, and then even later telling Kendall that the reason he's electing a fascist is because Kendall made him eat chicken and not steak. (laughs) There are so many uncomfortable moments in this episode where it just reminds you, again, how great the writing is from Armstrong to try to loop you in to sympathize with... Roman's like psychological trauma from being abused like in a cage from when he was younger because so many people I think bought Roman stock early on in the show and have Mm -hmm. just been holding it right up until this episode where luckily we sold most of it in season (laughs) one episode one listen to our season one deep dive if you want to hear why and then we sold what little we had left I think with season two and Jerry so I think this kind of like Roman fall death and now rise to normalizing fascism is exactly what this show has been leading up to this whole time of what you were just talking about with Kendall, just these like self-destructive arcs of all of these siblings. And specific, specifically with Roman, in episode six, we said on our show that the fall of Roman happened when he started spiraling, you know, firing two woman executives with mm-hmm. Joy and Jerry. And then last episode, the death of Roman happened with Jerry confronting him. And then this episode, Rise of the Sith, as you're putting it, or the contrarian incel, on how I'm putting yeah. it, uh, all of episode eight is basically Roman trying to use his leverage to get a figure like Mencken in power. And Kendall believes Roman wants to support Mencken to help kill the Gojo deal. But I think, you know, we haven't really talked about this too much off mic could be wrong about this, but I think Roman wants Mencken in power because of what Mencken normalizes in the culture at large. Okay. Like structurally, I think there is a reason why Armstrong and the writers team had Jerry confront Roman last episode, which was kind of his death scene. And then immediately in this episode, kind of make him try to find a figure who is worse than him potentially mm-hmm. be the president. Like, Yeah, that, that makes
3: sense. Yeah, That doesn't
2: seem by accident um, because he's kind of like morally dead at this point. He's looking for a way to justify his actions and joining someone like Minkin will I think put power back in the hands of destructive, insecure men. And those men will try to, I think as Roman literally puts it in this episode, wind things back 20 years. And I think that idea of winding things back 20 years when figures like Roman might have more power and get a, can get away with terrible things, that is very attractive to him because he knows he's guilty. And I think right now in episode eight, he's the most emotionally incapable that we've seen him all four seasons. He doesn't know what to do with this feeling of guilt. So siding with Mencken is kind of like Roman deciding to fire joy the movie executive Mm -hmm. where he's just like abusing his power to make his life easier and i think that happens again here with roman abusing his power atn he's putting fake news out into the world to get the public on Mencken's side and that's all roman seems to want now i don't even know if he necessarily cares if Mencken becomes president and blocks the deal i think he just wants a figure like Mencken in a powerful position with a platform okay because then he's kind of able to, Roman is, plant a seed of doubt in American democracy, which I do think he wants to normalize the kind of patriarchy that benefits his identity after what happened to him with Jerry. So again, I think it's a through line from the writers that they're connecting here with this downfall of Roman and him being reborn into this more evil figure that is just really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah.
3: Like doubling down on his dad's politics. And Mm -hmm. I I think if we went back, he asks the most, like, "What would Dad do oh, you're in this situation?" Right. Yeah, and like Logan, he is making decisions that will ultimately put him in the best position possible to give him the most like wiggle room to in these like horrible things that happen, like the cruise line, or that give him like plausible deniability. Yeah, and I, okay, so I have a question for you about Roman because there are two threads running here in this episode, what the siblings want personally, and then what's the best business decision. So mm-hmm. we, I think, know that Roman wants Mankin personally, like you're saying, for all those reasons, uh, but there's also the Gojo deal at the the business decision crux of of calling for Manchin. Yeah. So if this night went differently and Kendall was able to get a confirmation from Jimenez and Nate to tell the siblings that, they would kill the Gojo deal if they were to be elected. Do you think Roman would jump ship to support Jimenez instead of Mankin? Because it seems like Kendall is on uh team Jimenez because he feels like that is what's morally right. Shiv. We know personally, um, feels that way um and then we can obviously talk to you about like yeah, to we'll what point yeah. but uh but also like that is within her interest because of mattson right because she doesn't want the gojo deal to be killed and
2: that's for a variety of reasons too yeah Matson. but roman yeah. has
3: this interesting like part in this episode where at the very end where kendall's kind of making the final call should we say we already said wisconsin was one but should we say that like let's call it the election Mankin one right. on ATN. Roman says, Shiv, what information did you get from Nate? Like, I got something solid. You have a feeling. And Kendall says, what did Nate specifically say? Right. In that moment, like, I was thinking, okay, well, if they did get the word from Jimenez that the Gojo deal would be killed, would Roman be fine with going with Kendall? What what Kendall wants to do, which is huh. elect or call Jimenez. That's
2: a good question. I think Roman would probably twist it and tell Kendall and Shiv that, he doesn't think Jimenez and Gil would actually kill the deal. He would okay. probably say something like Gil tried to you know, get dad in the courts over the I years. I guess that's true, yeah. He would try to twist it in a way where it would favor- favorably go back to his side in trusting in Mencken because I do think Roman wants to be a Menckenite really badly. And I would argue that he wants to be a part of Mencken's fascist crew more than he actually wants to kill the Gojo deal, though both can be true at the same time. And I do think they are. I do think he wants to be co-CEO with Kendall and then kill the deal. But I also think he wants to be a part of making them be justified for his actions, right? And get because figures it like him in power leans in his
3: favor for all the reasons that you were talking about before. Yeah. I, I also think that he would ultimately lean towards making anyways. And also, I didn't think about like the whole history with Gil, but actually, that's like good evidence. Um, and I, I think
2: Kendall <laughs> believes that too because of the way he talks to Shiv when Shiv is watching P- PGN and Kendall mm-hmm. comes in, and does the whole like I'm a bad father, which we'll get to in a yeah. second. But I think he even says at one point, like Roman's kind of making me uncomfortable with this whole like Mankin addiction that he has. He doesn't yeah. say that out explicitly, but it does feel like he he can kind of pick it up that Roman seems a little bit too close yes. to Mankin.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I think like it's interesting because this is where we see Roman making the most independent moves that that we have seen. Like before when he was on the top of the mountain with Matson, and he yeah. like spun out and started yelling about about Matson killing his father. That seemed more like emotionally driven. This is where... We see Roman like kind of being super evil, making moves, like manipulating Darwin to call Wisconsin for Mencken and saying like, we'll put you on camera, like really playing to this idea of giving someone a platform when he fully doesn't intend to. Mm -hmm. And like he has this manipulative streak in this episode. And the reason I think that he will ultimately lean towards Mencken no matter what is aside from like the idea of Mencken absolving Roman. Right is that Roman also has a lot of personal pride invested in Minkin winning because Roman picked Minkin for his dad to approve, Yeah, yeah. right? Like in that episode where they were picking the next president Mm -hmm. and we're told continuously by the other siblings, like even in this episode where Roman never got to eat steak and they always (laughs) ate chicken that Logan used Roman as like the weak one to make a point to the other siblings yes, so that yeah. there was a set hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so this is maybe one of the only times that Roman was listened to or validated from Logan. So it really is like a personal, uh, investment that Minkin and win. So that way he feels value, like or affirmation from his dad, which is what they've been searching for this whole time. And like, I mean, there are other times, to be fair, that Logan does side with Roman, but it feels more like... No,
2: you're right, though. I didn't even think about the mission, the last mission that he, that he could do for his father, yeah. which would be this thing that he was fully recognized for, which was finding this alt-right conservative candidate for Logan to back and now he's going to fully back him
3: yeah Yeah, it was like the first time he you know Logan said that Megan was going to be good for TV and Roman was like that's what I said yeah like (laughs) it is so like a fragile like Roman behavior and there are times though that Logan has sided with Roman like to kill Volter but that was more to get back at Kendall like this seems like the only time where Roman felt like he he was um Listen to and maybe had a good point.
2: Yeah, we're here. I mean, obviously, power it's too. like
3: not a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm just saying, like, no. I think we're, we're good. We don't twisted. need to concede that. It's,
2: <laughs> just so everyone knows, we don't think making yeah. is a good person. <laughs> um okay should we get to the tragic moments yes okay um actually really oh, quickly
3: yeah i was gonna i have, do you have one more cringe
2: well is your cringe moment start with shiv and yes, end with Craig? yeah, yeah. i <laughs> said but i
3: wanted to i wanted to save it for obviously the chess moves but okay, yeah sh- just seeing shiv get like crushed under pressure it was like the pierce dinner all over again right yeah um, so i don't want to talk about the nate phone call looking through the office window no, no. but i Uh, Oh, my God. Uh, They're busy. That's why you shouldn't call them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I I mean, I meant the Shiv and Greg of it all.
3: Oh, that was also, yeah, cringe. I thought you were
2: going to make a full connection to Greg, and I was like, this is going to be good. You're going to have all these cringe moments of Shiv along the way. Uh, I really didn't... I just felt so uncomfortable in that closed room with them. Yeah. I mean, especially when she was like, Greg, do you find me attractive? And I was like, is this Tom talking? What yeah. is Shiv doing right now? And also, isn't that your cousin?
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Wait I only a second. After, What is uh,
2: going on? And, and then when she made her point, her Logan point, which is like, are you trying to F me, Greg? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. I get what she was saying. But there was like too much silence between her asking him if he thought she was, yeah, attractive. was really and then the final point she was trying yeah. to make where i was like okay she does not good at the logan thing logan wasn't good at the logan thing but shiv definitely is trying to be her father and it's a very awkward situation
3: yeah and it's something that i definitely want to come back to in chess moves because yeah, for sure shiv totally like misreads similar to the watch decision that kendall makes in season three oh of yeah how to treat Greg. People so,
2: probably don't even remember the watch thing. We'll Just, bring it
3: up later. We'll get, we'll yeah, we'll get to it later. Um, um, okay. Okay.
2: Tragic moments.
3: All right. Mine at first is the apology from Shiv.
2: Yeah. I think this is basically the death of Shiv, much like how last episode was kind of the death of Roman. It seems like we were right in episode seven that she jumped off that balcony after her fight with Tom metaphorically. And like that was the fall of her character. Now we're watching the death of her character. I'm assuming the funeral episode next episode will be the re-rise of like Shiv and Mattson doing something probably terrible to the other siblings. But this whole episode is just really bad news for Shiv. And I think this is the most I've maybe ever sympathized with her character. Yeah. It's
3: tough because I I watched this episode twice and similar to the Kendall scene where he's talking to her. Like I couldn't fully decide where, if I was like, I really feel like they're, they're trying to connect with someone or if they're using it as a move. And like, yeah, Yeah. I ultimately like fall on the side of they're they're using it as a move Move. or like a chess, right piece because that's how they're raised. But it's still tragic because we come off of last episode, Shiv telling Tom, like, I don't care about you. You don't deserve me very directly, even though she's already told right. him this in season three, I think after they're talking about the wine and it's for Tom, I think it kind of clicks for him. Like this mm-hmm. is, that's actually how she feels about me, but she says it like for real here. And so when she says, tries to say, sorry, I think Tom understands it to be like a tactic. That's right. what he literally says. Like what's her strategy like here. And I think we know that she doesn't ultimately want Tom to tell people that she is, on Team Mattson.
2: yeah. Well, let's back up for one second because the episode starts with her fighting with her loser brother, Roman, the whole the whole episode. And she's telling him that Matson, or sorry, Mencken is kidnapping Democratic voters on buses, mm-hmm. leaving kids on the side of the road. False
3: flag. False flag. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to do it.
2: <laughs> I was going to do it before you, damn. Uh, just like really disturbing shit. And he couldn't care less. And she's trying to convince Kendall that democracy matters and... I think you know Democrats at least want to make the American experiment work is kind of Shiv's energy right now. Mm-hmm. And obviously, she is a walking contradiction of her professed values. But still, like she is drawing a line in the sand. And it is important moments like this where we are supposed to judge these characters on their actions. And it is sort of nice to see her being like, Kendall, Roman, you guys are actually being evil right now, especially when you see Kendall being like sad boy, stoic man also having to deal with Roman the fascist. So she's dealing with this very frustrating sibling dynamic between the CE bros.
3: Yeah, and they've cut her out.
2: Completely. And that's, we're going to come back to that in chess Moves. but them cutting her out after Logan dies in episode four when Kendall's name is underlined, mm-hmm. a CEO, <laughs> and he doesn't think Pinky can dance. And so they don't include her and in the co-CEOs. That is when she's all of a sudden in on this Mencken deal. Yeah. So she is kind of like frustrated with her siblings and the state of democracy, really just because her brothers don't want to play a game with her. Yeah. Like that's kind of the, that kind of interesting sibling history. That's this tension riding through all their motivations. But then you have this kind of like these two major metaphorical stabs. I think she gets in this takes in this episode which kill her the first comes from what you were talking about a second ago with tom who is absolutely losing his mind he is stressing out he's like somewhat coked up Down unclear drugs, yeah. what the coke has done to him when he gets to shiv at and that point slept, in the episode. Yeah. he has three phones in his hand somehow and he hasn't slept <laughs> um at all and the pregnancy bomb drops so yeah. let's go ahead and play this clip because tom doesn't take being a dad as well as we thought he would
1: I know, but just let me, okay. I just, can you please? I just wanted to apologize for some of the things that I said last night, okay? Okay, okay. And to, you know, give you an opportunity to. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I can't do it to that, so.
0: How should I frame my face? Huh, you scared that I'm gonna blab? about you and Matson.
1: Jesus fucking Christ, Tom. What? My father just died, yeah? My, like, yeah. My father just died. So maybe, you know, I can get a little consideration on that, and for, you know, a number of reasons, I've been feeling off-kilter, so I'm sorry, but can I get in sure.
0: What does that mean? Sure. Sure. It means you hated him, Siobhan.
1: I didn't hate him. I loved him.
0: Well, it was complicated, but sometimes you certainly hated him, and, and you also sort of killed him
1: uh w- wow what
0: th- sort of sort of oh yeah
1: sort of that's the yeah. part that i'm gonna remember thanks no thank you okay you know what actually also i'm pregnant yeah by you and there's this is never a good time to say but you need to know so okay right. now you know
0: Is that even true? What? Like, is that even true? Or is that like a new position or a tactic or what?
2: So Shiv does say sorry. I know that's not going to be the first thing people pull from this conversation, (laughs) but she does apologize in the most Roy fashion. But do we... do we think that apology is real?
3: No. Okay. So, I, I mean, she says, like, hey, my dad Damn. just died. I'm going through a lot. And, like, obviously, yeah. like, maybe cut someone a break if their parent dies. But yeah. Shiv has always treated Tom like this. So I feel like he is coming off of this, uh like, truth that Shiv just said everything that he's already known for a long time. It was yeah, just yeah. unsaid. And so...
2: Tom is like sentient of the way that Shiv has been conditioning him now at this point. So he's like, I know what you're doing to me. This is a tactic. Yeah.
3: Although, I I mean, it is pretty evil what Tom says back to her. Like, you killed your dad. You hated him. And...
2: Well, just the night before, like, probably like eight hours before, she said that you're the reason I didn't get to be with, like, my dad before he died.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I just viewed, like... Tom like saying that as like hey this is the most important l- night of my life at least in my mind yeah. right <laughs> um three phones in hand and you're choosing this time to like to say sorry to me, but you're not actually sorry. Like you're like I'm. I keep being dragged through this bullshit. I have to prove myself tonight, so yeah. that way I won't get fired because of the rumor you just spread last night. Because That's my boss is gonna yeah. rip my heart out. So like, uh. I I view that so like a reaction, even though Tom is so wild, like in his own right, yeah. <laughs> to say that you you killed your father. Yeah. Um. But I think that like Shiv panics in this moment because yeah uh after he says that to her she's like okay well I'm going to tell you that we're pregnant this is like the thing that you know you have been wanting out of our relationship right and I'm using this as a jab um and and like a a moment of leverage to say like I still need you to not tell anyone that I'm on team Matson like everything is transactional for these Roy children so Mm -hmm. I think the interesting question that I've seen People ask from this point, though, is, does Tom actually believe her? Because he says, is that true? Is that even a tactic? And I, I thought, like, at first, maybe he really didn't know. But then the camera holds on him, and the Tom Shiv theme song plays that we hear when they're getting a divorce oh, at the beginning. Yeah. And he looks down for a second, takes a moment. And I, I think in that moment, he's like, oh, it is true.
2: Okay, so...
3: But then the way he treats her the rest of the episode doesn't totally make sense. Doesn't
2: fit completely. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So even though we've predicted a good amount of this season, this has been the hardest part of the show for me, except for like how the show is going to end. Like, what the pregnancy is going to mean for the show because it just came out recently that the director of episode seven didn't even know that Shiv was pregnant, Mm. that they wrote it into the script at a different point. Oh, they went back to shoot it. Yeah. And they went back to shoot some scenes with Shiv. So I'm trying to make a connection. I'm assuming the pregnancy wasn't just written to the script because Sarah Snook was actually pregnant in real life because you can't really tell. I mean, she looks, you you can't tell at all. Yeah. Um, But, so I guess the pregnancy has to do thematically. It has to make sense thematically. So because we find out about her pregnancy after Logan dies, this kind of like cycle of rebirth thing that they're trying to do. My, my prediction was that she might be her become her worst nightmare, which is like a lonelier version of her mother. And that is really like her re rise as a character after her death is that she is going to like be a lonely person like her mother and father. And she'll she'll always struggle to connect and be Mm -hmm. completely like reducing love to a commodity. And I think my prediction last episode was that she wouldn't tell anyone about her pregnancy and that she would have a miscarriage or an abortion probably. Mm -hmm. And that still could happen. But I think what I found really interesting about this Tom scene is that I kind of still think that no one knows about Shiv's pregnancy because Mm -hmm. I think Tom genuinely believes that was a play. So I'm gonna go the other way for you. And therefore, I think that the theme might still be fitting that she'll go into the funeral next episode, potentially like not being pregnant and Hmm. having an abortion or a miscarriage. Like I'm going to wait for my predictions to really get into that and what that might look like. I mean, that would have to be
3: a a quick appointment. Like it's the funerals the next morning. Well,
2: I think there's a opportunity to show the kind of spectrum of opportunities that certain people of privileged access to healthcare might have. Or it'll just be a source of tension for her and Tom as they end out these last two episodes.
3: Yeah, I, I still don't know. And it, it's really interesting, actually, just before we move out of this conversation, these are plot points that I would normally uh, really dislike from a writing perspective. Like yeah. a woman using pregnancy for leverage, like right? Like these words that oh, we're yeah. using. Or um, the idea of like Shiv being, you know, she's called like hysterical and unhinged. But because it's a... A satire on power it's similar to when last episode i was like oh the tom and shiv balcony scene makes me think of kendall and his relationship Mm, i think jesse armstrong specifically is writing shiv to have these like traditionally masculine or just like within the cutthroat capitalism way that she was raised um, decision-making because he's making a comment that the poison drips through for like all of the siblings, no matter what, because they're kind of above constructs in a lot of ways, even though we know that Shiv is not right. She um, is cut out of the sibling plan because she is a a woman. That's the
2: final wound. That's the final wound to her, the death of her character. I think the final image of the newsroom with her, Kendall, Roman, and then her husband, like Tom, all kind of looking at her like she's the problem and her not really getting a word in into like how to how to be included in the company. It was just so interesting to show how like Shiv can be terrible, but also face sexism. And yeah. like that was, that's what that image was trying to tell the, I think the audience, that's why they, it's so difficult to show that spectrum of oppression in that way, like, in a show like this when you don't really have much sympathy yeah, for these very wealthy figures. Yeah, and all the siblings are actually terrible
3: people, yeah. But
2: that was really impressive. They do it again with Jess, which we'll get to later on in this episode. But yeah. I thought that was really well Well, done. I think, we
3: I mean, we've had, like different moments where we see like Logan says I didn't make the world like yeah like people are going to take you less seriously to Shiv when she's taking over a CEO and then we see Roman obviously like in this episode too like calling her hysterical like saying no one cares and Mm. using like things he understands are like sexist tactics but the biggest point is that they work right? right like everyone is ignoring Shiv in the room obviously because she betrayed them but there's also this point that she was like you were gonna throw us under the bus Ken like you just told me that so it is really interesting what what Jesse Armstrong is doing with Shiv's character
2: and I guess just to be clear because we are we are sounding pro Shiv and sympathizing with her. She's not playing Mattson's side for utilitarian reasons. It isn't because of democracy, no matter how much she says that. She's playing both sides because of her history with her siblings, just to reiterate that. like, Well,
3: yeah, they closed her out. Yeah, I mean, exactly. also, but I, I don't she think. She wanted
2: to be a CEO, bro. Yeah. But she wasn't allowed. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> but I do think that, like, we're not, I don't know. I don't think we're sympathizing slash, like, uh, Shiv yeah. apologists. We're just, no. I think it's interesting to look at the ways that Armstrong is, is, showing the siblings being treated like in this marketplace because everyone's a market or whatever whatever Logan says. On the
2: HBO podcast, Armstrong talked about Shiv's psychology a bit and relative to other other characters. And he seemed really interested in unpacking that this season. And he talked about how like he, she like, she grew up with abusive men around her. And I think he wrote her to be like very self-aware of her emotional predicament of being an adult who struggles with or is incapable of connection. So I think, Armstrong kind of fully ending her arc in this episode. To me, at least, I feel like this is kind of like the end of what we know of Shiv in this episode when she kind of loses her husband, loses her relationship to her brothers, and doesn't have anybody to talk about her potentially becoming a mother on our Mother's Day. Like we're watching this episode on our literal Mother's Day is a fascinating choice because I think we just got confirmation that she doesn't want to be the mother of Tom's children. Like that's kind of how I looked at that Hmm, final moment between her and Tom. But again, we can get more into that yeah. in predictions. Yeah, well, okay,
3: the last thing I want to say is the reason I laughed when Kendall, uh, like, so there was that situation where Tom says, Shiv, you sound unhinged, which is obviously like this sexist tax- tactic to like just yeah. push- tell Shiv to be quiet. And Ken goes, you watch it, Tom. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs>
2: it's it's equivalent laughed. to him being like, that's homophobic, man, to well, match Exactly, yeah.
3: he is just being performative, yes. right? Like, yeah. and and the reason I, I like, Even though laughed- Even was sick, because, I yeah, will say. When that he that was stuck like, up for yeah. Shiv, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we knew exactly what you're talking about. Like it was just such a performative act. Like he doesn't really care about Shiv. He's about to, like, throw her under the bus, like, five minutes later, so...
2: Yeah, it was really entertaining, Um, but again, I, I just really, really like that image of the three men, like, all pointing fingers at Shiv. Roman doing it in the most, like, irritating way, but just seeing how, like, Shiv has all of these physical obstacles more than men, and, and trying to, like, make these decisions about her life, I just think that was really well done.
3: Yeah, and then Ken does the covert way of, uh, like showing that he cares similar to the surveillance car that he has yep. uh following his children. So
2: speaking of Kendall. My
3: last tragic moment is Kendall. Me too. Okay. Mine was just tracking Kendall's face like throughout the night to see him see the consequences <laughs> of his actions like yeah. nearing closer and closer as he is giving a Minkin figure more power. Like when the call is made for Mankin in Wisconsin and we see it on the TV screen, we have a close up on Ken's face, like processing what he's doing. And so those were kind of like the tragic moments again, not to like sympathize with Ken, but to like be like, you have a, a chance to like make a different decision. And he understands the weight of it. That's why it's so like dark.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think last episode, I said that we saw the fall of Roman. We just saw the fall of Shiv and we hadn't seen the fall of liberal posturing Kendall, the yeah. performative Kendall. But just like how you're saying, I think this episode was the like fall of performative Kendall. He is now becoming KLR, Kendall, Logan, right? Killer. Killer. Yeah. He is going to be like his dad, but worse. I think your prediction of how the show ends is probably right. That he maybe becomes a worse version of his father. Um, But I think the reason why this episode is probably the fall of him and why I think it's such a tragic episode for him is because he's like fully sentient that his liberal persona is a lie and he's on his way to like killing his past self. So I feel like this might be the last sad boy Kendall episode Mm -hmm. we see because this felt like one of the most emotionally deflated, quiet versions of Kendall we've seen, especially in the last final 20 minutes or up until the final 20 minutes he's really conflicted when atn announces mankin has won the election when he's sitting in silence for like 30 minutes of this episode which is about like what we'd expect from him he's trying to fake he's a good person and right until the very end and you know you're watching like the wheels turning and it's like watching ai become (laughs) self-aware because he's like really like like when he tells roman America is a nice idea, you know, with all the different people together. Yeah. And then he immediately goes to Shiv for affirmation and says, I don't think I'm a very good father. Maybe the poison drips through as we keep talking about. And I'm thinking, wow, Kendall is losing it. Like he has all these conflicting impulses, but he's an awful person. And and that's why he's such a fascinating character. And I think our favorite character, because he's the closest to real life of the bad seas of our, our own country. And, you know our best hope with some of these real people is that they never fully support nationalist or dictatorial figures like Kendall is with, with Mankin. But I think the reason why Kendall's arc is so challenging to watch is because we want to believe in him. We want to believe that he's going to take a shotgun to Logan. We want to believe that he's going to change ATN Waystar for the better. Like how, I think he tells his siblings in season three. Yeah,
3: he like puts them all in a room right before the donuts come and like scare them all away. Yeah, but he's like, we could make something better, yeah.
2: Right, but seeing him fully self-aware of his evil at the Mm -hmm. end of this episode and how he's willing to act on that evil by giving people like Mencken a platform, it's how he rationalizes it like his father would that really, really is tragic like more than cringy it's like really depressing <laughs> because you know he's making a morally wrong decision and he's thinking he's basing it out of survival and yeah. competition and that he's killing others to help protect his children yeah and or his family like if
3: he has enough power then he can do whatever he wants like at the expense of everyone else's children but i th- right. i think for the same reason i i felt like this moment was tragic not only because of what you're talking about, like this ultimate fall of Kendall understanding what he's doing, but also because I think for the audience, like he makes a call like this killer instinct that you were talking about before, where mm-hmm. at the end of season two, he says, actually my dad's responsible for cruises, like right. flip the table. You know what I mean? And we're and like, what kind of show out. is we're this like, going to become? We're like, yeah, yeah, like Kendall just, you know, like he's the a shotguns, hero. He's the yeah. protagonist. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, he like threw Logan under the bus And then we see him make this call here where he's doing something very similar, Mm -hmm. you know, but we're, we are understanding, okay. Kendall doesn't actually believe the kind of BS like that. He has been trying to like posture with and this like virtue signaling, he will like cut the deal like his father. So I think you're, you're totally right. That was the reason why this was like, again, tragic or, just like really dark because it's the same thing that we've like cheered him on for before when he's like stabbing Logan in the back. But ultimately, he has like the same goal as Logan, like right. here.
2: Yeah. And I think if you would have asked me last season, would I rather have Kendall in power more than Logan? I would have said 110%. Yeah. Yes. But
3: he's doing But now something thing? is making me yeah. a little
2: bit like, I'm like, what? Where is he going? Is he going to be like, is this going to get real animated? Is he going to become like, when he says to Frank, like, he's going to eat. He's gonna eat the Swede, like that's yeah, like his goal. Yeah, he's gonna eat his lunch, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, I was kind of excited. I'm like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. And now I'm kind of like, okay, you might scare me more than if like Matson is saying this is crazy yeah, about is like Mankin and Kendall is the one that orchestrated that. It's not looking good.
3: Yeah. Okay. And I also I don't I don't know where it's gonna go now. Totally, that Roman is so like uh, crucial to the relationship with Mankin. Like last episode, I thought that Minkin would be fine having a relationship with Kendall. But mm-hmm. I actually think even though he is using the siblings, Minkin is, uh, that he does want to deal with Roman because Roman is easily ma- like manipulated where yeah. Kendall wouldn't be. And I, so I I don't, I don't know. So I don't know how that is going to go because I, my prediction was that Kendall would be on top and that would ultimately be a tragic ending for him. Yeah. But can he kill Roman and still have a connection to so, power?
2: Jerry, we're going to get, we're going to get to it. So okay. I think Kendall could create, recreate the executive team around him. He's like, okay, Carl, don't take your golden parachute. Dude, Frank, do exactly on my what team.
3: Roman's, I mean, uh, Logan's playbook is.
2: Yeah. Jerry, you want hundreds of millions of dollars and to throw my brother into rich people jail. Let's go do that. Like, yeah. That's kind of like he, he might do that.
3: Okay. We'll get to it in chess moves. Let's okay. go to our funniest moments.
2: So a lot of Greg and Tom moments, like we said at the top yeah. of the pod first with Tom, the shoes bit, at it the beginning so of the episode. Yeah. I don't know how to exactly to explain it. Um, I, also,
3: <laughs> I, my whole... I just wrote Tom's stress levels. Yeah, it was like my yeah. funniest <laughs> moment. Because... We're seeing Tom back in this like comedy sweet spot that we love to see between Tom and Greg both. Like mm-hmm. Tom feeling like he is being crushed under pressure and making all these like wild decisions, and also like the the pre stress of not having uh, the right shoe footwear or like <laughs> he's got a good adult arches, diaper. Yeah, like he like <laughs> asks like Can I? Uh, is there like time for the bathroom? You know, like I he is. Gonna be okay. He just wants to like blend in, and then Greg right is Gregging for him because Tom feels so insecure about this night that he needs to feel like he's in power and Mm -hmm. he can only have that from Greg being, you know, his like assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like old time. So before we get to Tom and Greg, I want to talk about like two funny Tom moments when he tells what we've already talked about decision desk, Darwin, like, (laughs) Oh, those are cool shoes before he goes into the room. And he, I think he really means it. Like he wants to have those shoes because just before Pam like responded to him, like you're wearing the wrong footwear for this Long night, right? And he's like kind of insecure about that. And I also love that moment with Pam, where Tom's like, "Did you see that viral thing about that woman who voted (laughs) forty times for Jimenez under her dead mom's name?" And Pam's like, "Yeah, we like tracked her down. Not super reliable. Like, not a well person." And Tom's like, "Are you a doctor?" You a doctor, Pam? Pam? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. And then also just how Tom the whole time is like at the very beginning of the episode, like it's my call, like it's Mm -hmm. my call, like throughout the whole the whole thing, even when he's talking to Roman and Roman's like, we'll make the call together, like, or just thinking about how to cover, uh, the fire in Milwaukee that make like set, you know, set fire to this building. Yep. And he's like, it's my call, how to cover it. And we have that really funny, you know, uh moment where Nate's also on speakerphone and Tom's like, well, bully for Nate. And, yeah. and, and he's like, Hey Tom, Hi, Nate. Hey Nate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he's like, I have to go talk to Greg. They're like, we're not talking to Greg uh, hang up, but I just love this idea of Tom saying it's my call. And then at the very end of the episode, he's like, not my call. Yeah not my call. Yeah. You know, she's
2: Shiv, like, Oh, now it's not your call. Got it.
3: It's so funny. Anyway. So, so, so let's go to Tom and Greg of it all. Then.
2: Okay. So the Tom and Greg, that's, I love all the individual Tom moments. Also just quick note on the shoes after he is kind of embarrassed about wearing regular yeah. shoes or dress up shoes or whatever. He walks into the, the news office and everyone is staring at his feet. Oh, have I you rewatch the episode? There are a few people in the back just like staring at Tom's oh, feet because he's not wearing the Sid <laughs> slippers. Apparently she wore So one of the funniest moments with Tom and Greg starts at the beginning of the episode where Greg tells Tom that he's still recovering from Mattson, treating him so (laughs) poorly the night before at bars. Like he was making him dance with old men who didn't want to dance and drink things that aren't supposed to be drink. And Mattson was saying a lot of things to Greg, which we'll unpack a little bit later to whatever that means, to which Tom interrupts him and is venting about how stressed Tom is, which is a total shiv move for Tom to do Yeah, and a total
3: missed opportunity. We'll talk about it in the chess moves later.
2: Yeah, we are 100% going to talk about that in the chess moves. But the other part of the episode that is hilarious is when, is when Tom gets his bodega sushi from not Greg, whoever not Greg is. And, and Tom's I'm like, Samson. I need you. Yeah. Samson, I need you gregging for me, Greg, because my digest, my <laughs> digestive system is basically part of the constitution. Yeah. So I want ginger <laughs> shots. I want an American bottle of water and I want spaghetti and olive oil. The works.
3: American bottled water. Okay. Yeah.
2: And Greg's like, Okay. <laughs> Just yeah, love I love that. That. He's
3: like, uh, no, uh, like, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. I it, just love
2: the part sushi plays in this episode. Like, yeah, they bring it back to the wasabi at the end. It's great. Oh
3: yeah. I was, I thought you were going to talk about that. The wasabi was obviously like the, it's funniest the best scene. moment. Honestly, it's, should we just play it? So
2: I'm glad you said that. It's on my fingers. It's on my fingers.
3: Yeah, why does he... Say, he's saying it like not in American <laughs> accent. Because he's
2: British. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: know, but it's seeping through. Uh, I guess he's in a lot of... He's you know playing like he's in a lot of pain. Let's
2: put some lemon in Darwin's eyes and listen to this.
5: All right, so... Yeah? Okay. Satisfied? As uh, soon sure. as we can. Great.
2: Uh,
1: What's up? You okay? Uh, what? There's something in my
5: eyes. Um... Well,
0: uh, Craig, Hey, it's
3: wasabi. wasabi.
5: Is it wasabi? wasabi. this wasabi, oh, oh, wasabi in my oh, wait, eyes. I've got wasabi in my eyes. Oh,
0: wait, wait, hold on. Oh, oh.
5: Uh, no, it's got more, more in it. has got more in it. It's on my fingers. On it's on no, no, my What'd you to do to uh, it? Greg, what, Greg. Things. What? what? Get How some water or something, Holy Greg? Mother,
0: mother, God, fuck me slowly. Okay. This smart. Okay. okay, Greg, okay. Put, put water in
5: it. Put water in
0: it. It's what? That's lemon! It's lemon, Greg! That's clear. It's LaCroix.
1: Greg, what are oh, you on. doing? It's, it's, it's ah, lemony, it's yeah, Greg It's lemony. Oh, Jesus, oh,
0: H. Christ. No, it's natural, like oh, medical. Yeah. Give it to me. Oh, my God. It's gosh. not that lemony. It's just a hint of lemon. Darwin, you
1: good to call it? You can't fucking call it Rome.
0: We're calling it shit. He just called it. Greg, okay? okay? Greg, do oh. not put any more lemon water or wasabi in his eyes, okay?
3: That's a lemon. <laughs> That's lemon, Greg. <laughs> I love when he like takes a sip and he's like, "It's it's not that lemony. It's a hint of lemon."
4: <laughs> oh my god, is also, this
3: wasabi? <laughs> also, Darwin Jesus says, H "Christ." Yeah, he says this smarts, which I don't know the smarts. If this smarts, and okay. I don't know if that is something that American people say, and I've just never heard it. Like this hurts. I had to Google it. We have
2: a lot of English listeners. That can yeah, let us know. I, maybe yeah. it's a
3: like British idiom, but. Uh, I I feel like because they're British writers, that would make sense that it like found its way in. I know that they do have like consultants who tell them uh, this isn't the way an American person would right. like, say this, so, yeah. but that one like found its way in there, but. Wasabi, a great iconic a great scene. scene. Yeah. yeah, it feels like such a
2: throwaway <laughs> skit, but for some reason, it really alleviates like the tension of this yeah. episode in a really fun <laughs> way because it's such a disgusting episode.
3: Well, also, like everyone's just like you know shaming Greg and yeah. just just like the old days, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the, my only other funny moment was just like the idea of bosses pressuring bosses, which we've had in succession yeah. before but like Kendall calling Tom to yell at him while Tom is yelling at people to like fix the touch screen yes. while they're trying to fix the touch screen. Like again, this evil broadcast news that was really funny, like the Bobby, 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 but actually like evil, you know, Jane saying Bobby, Bobby, Bobby while they're trying to fix the tape. Right. And I also just love when Kendall tells Greg that he's going to put his head through the touch screen and Greg saying like, okay, no need to catastrophize. Yeah. You know? I have that in my notes too. <laughs> Okay. Oh, oh, I did have one more. Okay, Connor.
2: Okay, so we haven't said Connor's name once this episode.
3: I don't, I mean, obviously he might come up as like a small chest move, but I just love when Connor and Tom talk on the phone. Have they ever talked on the phone before? Um, Interesting. Connor says, you know, he... It's, it just makes an election so much more interesting if you're in it. when you're in it, which <laughs> I meant to make a joke at the beginning of this pod when we were opening, um, yeah. but we were talking about how like kind of heavy this episode is, but I was like, you know, Trey, it just makes a podcast so much more interesting when, when you're, you're, uh, you're in on it. it, on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love when Tom, I mean, con says like, I shan't become that shan't. alas Kentucky alas Malua, yeah. vanity. I love
2: that, uh, that. Um, who was I about to talk about? Willa. Yeah. I love that Willa is standing up for him, but his responses with the the shant become that is <laughs> fantastic.
3: Yeah. And uh, like on paper, that's really hard to make a comedic beat like it just seems so even all of
2: his rhyming of different countries and like places yeah. he wants to go to i'm like how much of the i know succession i don't want to be one of those people it's like is this script uh, like are this is this all improv here yeah but i know this is all scripted yeah like, it's yeah, on, yeah. He it's just on the does script, a great job. but he does he does such a good job where it feels so so organic he really knows that character
3: yeah and then the last like I think really maybe most underrated funny moment of the whole episode is Frank's jab when they show Connor on the TV screen. And I'm Frank so goes, glad you brought that
2: Connor up. Connor was
3: running for president. president.
2: Oh my God. It
3: was so good. We rarely I see about Logan's inner circle making fun of the children openly because they could be overheard or like maybe the kids will be in power yeah. one day. So they have to like not talk about them, but it was perfect did
2: you suspect hugo was the kind of man to sit on the couch watching an election just shouting expletives at democratic candidates no but i guess that's like the
3: that's the thing we've never really seen them like the group of of the people who are working yeah. for logan like on the their alone. own yeah they
2: have their own little clique yeah, yeah. no wonder jerry fucking hated this guy yeah that's what yeah,
3: yeah. I, we talked about it earlier like this idea that she was in a boys club for yeah. her whole career yeah
2: okay chess moves so we keep saying it, but basically evil broadcast news this episode. So it's really difficult to, I guess, kind of figure out the hierarchy of chess moves here. Because there's a lot of moves happening simultaneously. So I struggled to like categorize them. Like there were moves happening in the same room between characters. And I didn't know like <laughs> where to put them. So I'm combining a lot of people
3: That's what okay, in my chess that's moves. That's what I did too. Because and like I was, twos. Yeah, I kept like writing chess moves on my doc. And I was like, wait, but like... Roman impacts this person and like Mankin impacts it like yeah okay so I start off with Connor okay Connor
2: so Connor might be going to Slovenia shouts to my Goran Dragic fans out there
3: I'm not sure all two
2: of you if you're if you are a NBA basketball fan and you at one point in your life respected Goran Dragic you're one of my favorite listeners (laughs) just want you to know that so Connor and Willa are speaking to their team hearing that their only chance is Kentucky and Connor and Willa say anything can happen. And anything did happen. Kentucky is lost. Willa says, F Kentucky, and that's where Connor does it. So I shan't become that. Yeah. Willa tells Connor she's nervous later on about getting in with Mankin because he's very right wing. But there's always Vienna for lunch. And that's true. Venice for dinner. Yeah. Doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> and I think even Willa in this moment, which I'm glad they wrote it into the script at the end of the season, is showing her true colors, which is Literally what we said last pod, like even though we appreciate Connor and Willis transparency for lack of a better word in their relationship, they're both still like evil on this Roy yeah. spectrum. And they're not, they're not, uh, I guess they aren't exactly innocent, But the actual chess move from Khan is his speech at the end, which I I am worried will have some later episode consequences. Well,
3: okay. So I, the first time I watched it, I asked you, like we paused it. I was like, wait, did he even concede? Like I I missed it. But at the beginning, he does say like, it it seems likely that Mencken will be. It was the the weirdest concession Yeah. The next president. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, I happen to be a billionaire. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. And Ken puts Kendall, his hands yeah. in his face. Like that was his almost moment. like smiling
2: yeah. a little bit. He was so uncomfortable. Uh,
3: but then he threatens like America. He's like, yeah. be afraid, be warned. The con heads are coming.
2: Yeah. I mean, what do we think about that? January 6th, Capitol riot. I vibes? Thought that
3: was definitely like alluding to that, but I don't even think Connor has that many like voters or supporters.
2: I think it's possible, though, that we could see some kind of like political rioting, Proud Boys stuff. Like, yeah, it could I mean, be Conheads. It could it be the Meganites. Maybe did they see it on the,
3: um, the newscast, like behind Boston.
2: There was one in Boston yeah. on one of the TVs. Yeah, yeah, at the very
3: beginning of the episode. So, so but well, I, I think you're right. Like, that could go on during the funeral episode.
2: So, I only talked about it as a chess move because I'm assuming Connor will have like a fall to his character, too. And if he does be, a, if he does ignite, Kind of like those riots that happen, or like domestic terrorism. Possibly, it could be happening behind the scenes of the funeral next episode. Because I'm assuming next episode isn't going to be all just the funeral. Like there's going to be something else going on. I don't on. know the funeral. I am.
3: This is like I've been waiting for this episode. You have been talking so about it all excited. season. Excited. Yeah. I think we. It's like the Super Bowl of Succession. Like everyone's coming. Logan's back. death. I <laughs> want my Stewie joke with Living Plus. Like I want to see all the characters again. Yes. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of like actually the finale episode. And then the last episode will be
2: something crazy. Yeah. You know, do you know it's 90 minutes? It's a full feature length episode. Oh, wow. It, guys, I'm going to say this once. I've said it five times, it'll be six times. Bring the finales of great TV shows, prestige television, to local movie theaters yes, AMC, I totally agree. Regals. I hope it's independent chains, but they probably can't afford that kind of contract. Send it, HBO, to whatever the big franchises are. I will go. We will I, will, go. I will go. I will pay fifteen dollars to go watch the final episode in a movie theater. Could you imagine the community of people? Like, yeah, you but could it get might be like scary. Like, like, remember
3: when we we're watching Joker? Like, a lot of people like laughing at the the wrong moments. You know, you like, think those
2: are the kind of Succession fans? I don't
3: know. Maybe we'd see Twitter just come to life. Imagine
2: uh, seeing this past episode in a live movie theater. There'd be so many Roman heads just like sinking into their seats.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, the next chess move we have is, or I put Tom.
3: Okay, I was not as organized this episode to like put it from least consequential to gotcha. most, but let's let's go ahead and go Tom now.
2: So it's not really a chess move, but he does start off. It feels like with uh, pretty a pretty good amount of power because it's his first official week as head of news, right? Like by himself, because well, I by guess himself, yeah, because he was Sid. sharing
3: the power with Sid, right? With Sid,
2: right, with yeah. Sid. Off camera, he fired her. It seems like, and I just realized too that that's three Waystar executive women fired in like four or five days with Joy, Jerry, and now Sid. So not a great look for ATN, and not a great look for Tom because he has a pretty pretty bad night because Tom's main chess move is not backing Shiv, which sort of works, sort of doesn't because he doesn't back her with the pregnancy. We don't know what the outcome of that is going to be yet. And then he doesn't back her with the siblings, which was a mistake, probably, because Tom keeps telling the siblings that he wants to keep ATN's unique perspective and respect their viewership by not saying it was like Mencken's people who firebombed Milwaukee. Um, And so he wants to kind of like call the fire in Milwaukee like an electrical failure story or whatever. But then the siblings start pressuring him and he starts kind of like backing down to them. And when they finally, especially Roman, wants to push Mencken as the president elect, Tom kind of just... Folds. Yeah. yeah. And I think he possibly lost based on what the end of the episode looked like with his face on a PGN screen of saying he's the reason that, that this country is going to be divided for the next three months.
3: Well, I think, uh, that's interesting. I have him losing for another reason also, but first just to stick on the pregnancy, like this is the episode we've been waiting for Shiv to tell someone right this season. And I think we were kind of subverted because we thought immediately, just given all the background we have with Tom, like this is the thing that he wants to have, like with Shiv, Mm -hmm. this uh, traditional life of like a picket fence and like a family, right? And so we definitely thought, or at least I did like, okay, when he is told this, he will be all in on Shiv Mm -hmm. because then it's his family's interest. So it's really interesting that he doesn't do that. Um, And I think you're right in that sense. Like Kendall, like we talked about last episode, he burned Kendall. Kendall might not, take Tom on onto his team. Like, doesn't
2: seem like he wants to. I yeah. They've made it very clear. So at this then
3: point. my reason uh, for Tom kind of having a failed chess move was then not listening to Greg because.
2: Oh yeah.
3: What yeah. you noted earlier, Greg right. is trying to tell him like throughout the episode, he literally says, Hey, uh, like, Tom, at some point tonight, can we chat (laughs) about the me of things and how to play it? Because Mattson treated me quite abominably, but I felt, he felt trusting. And like, he was saying a lot of things. Things. And then Tom immediately yells, enough, enough. Like Greg, get me coffee. You need to Greg for me tonight. Yes. And Tom missed out on Greg, giving him valuable information that he could to store away. right? Right. Like, because I think that Uh, like Greg has more information we're being told than just that Shiv and Mattson are on the same team.
2: Right. So let's talk about Greg because I think he's the next person who's made pretty good moves. So I've gone from Jesse Armstrong wanting to write Greg into the story about how nepotism exists for even the cousins who are screw ups to possibly like the exaggerated point where Greg would become CEO And then now I'm also thinking, or I guess I was toward the beginning of season four, that they basically just gave up on Greg's character and he's now a disgusting frat brother. But now, after what you're talking about in this last episode in Matson, it kind of feels like Greg is becoming the new Ebba for Matson. It's not not clear exactly what Matson Mm -hmm. wants him for. I think Matson tells Shiv that Greg's one of the normal people. Oh yeah, on the phone call
3: at the beginning. Also though, like Matson sees... Greg, as someone who is like a sycophant, right? He's like a yes, yes. man. The Slim and Reaper. Yeah, yeah. Like he will be in his corner. He sees that he can manipulate Greg yeah. and he will pay for his silence.
2: Do you think Mattson offered Greg anything?
3: I don't know. That's like unclear because Greg tells Tom, like, he treated me horribly, but yeah. it felt trusting. He was saying a lot of things, like letting me in on a lot of secrets. So I don't know if he, like, technically offered him anything, but I think Greg sees more possibility to be secure mm-hmm. than he does with Tom right now. Who's like ignoring him and, and making him Greg for him. Yeah. <laughs> and then also Shiv, who has a failed chess move here by not offering Greg something for his silence. He literally says, what's the offer? Silence is golden, but like how golden, you know? Yeah. And
2: Greg is literally the cloud. I know we keep saying it, but he is just collecting data. And some people are going to have to pay up for cloud storage. (laughs) A lot of money.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And this is like, um, really goes back to Greg Uh, learning who to trust in this world, right? We referenced at the beginning of this episode, the bore on the floor hunting uh, Mm -hmm. conversation between Tom and Greg. And Tom's like, Greg, you can't trust anyone. Anyone. Like not even me. Like you just handed me a valuable piece of capital. Like put it in a locker, put it away forever. That's what he says in season two. And now here, Greg at the beginning of this episode in the room of terms and conditions says, hey, I found out some like, information did mm-hmm. you know about Shiv's alliance with Matson and Tom goes I'm sure I don't understand yeah. like what you're talking <laughs> about and Tom Wright says it's a bottle of fine wine yes. information you store it you hoard it you save it for a special occasion And then you smash someone's face in with it. Yeah.
2: And it happens to be his wife.
3: Yeah. And I love the wine specific metaphor, right? Because Tom is like stuck with all of Tom and Shiv's like shitty wine. And Greg's like, nice, you know? And then what does Greg do at the end of this episode, but smashes the bottle in Shiv's face because she didn't give him something for his silence, some sort of offer to keep him safe. Like in these next moves that are going to happen with Gojo and Waystar. So that think, was some
2: of the biggest, like,
3: <gasps> yeah. like
2: succession moments yeah. I've and had. Then, and
3: then the best part is when he, like, walks across and he shrugs at her.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's
3: like, well, you well, know, I you told you. could have gave
2: me some, like, a golden um, egg.
3: <laughs> but I think that, like, Greg and this whole, like, bore on the floor imagery the whole, uh you know, season so far mm-hmm. was really smart because he is waiting for someone to, to attach to. Yeah. I think that's like his character, right? And Mattson sees him as someone who could be like faithful to him or like loyal to him and that's all he's looking for. So I think Greg is kind of dangerous right now yeah. because he is tied to the Roy family by name for power right. but he he isn't even tied to Tom, right? Like he's a free agent with hoarded information that you're talking about and Tom teaches him to like to just keep in his information. So Trust no one ever. That's what he says to him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, do we think Greg is going to screw over Tom? I think so. This season, I think so. That's kind of
3: sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. It's really sad. People are going to make
2: so many Twitter videos about yeah, that. Yeah. But I, some, I know it's they're breaking <laughs> like up. Like Twilight level. But videos. I do
3: think that's where we're headed. Like it, it. It seems like you know this was the last um like offer that yeah. Greg gives Tom. Like hey, or it gives him to Talk about the me of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay, should we get to before getting to the obvious winners of this episode, which I think are Roman and Mencken and then Kendall, mm-hmm. and we'll can unpack that a little bit, some quick notes on Shiv and Matson, because I think yeah. they, they are going to play a big part in episode nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of episode eight, even though it was awful for Shiv most of the episode, and Matson was just kind of sitting in his hotel room getting drunk, Shiv and Matson end the episode in a very dramatic cable television phone call it felt like outside of an hbo uh, yeah episode. it was
3: so weird when she walked away from the building yeah, yeah.
2: where shiv tells Matson, like it
3: felt like a usa network yeah exactly yeah.
2: like to start getting she wants him to start getting the word out about something through gojo i guess it wasn't really clear what that meant she said
3: that she was writing uh words for okay. him she's basically like she was gonna write up something for him to like tweet or write out about the election but so, it's like making i mean not Minkin. uh Matson is not this like moral figure. So right. him putting out words, I don't think will matter. It's just from the viewpoint of him about to like buy this corporation yeah. that.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, especially after his, like his, uh, bigoted tweet, he sent out like two episodes yeah, ago, Liv- living I plus meant, yeah. anyway. So like 15 minutes into the episode, Shiv calls Matson to tell him that her brothers are thinking of backing Mankin and he's making drinks, dudes chilling, not wor- worried, pure psycho vibes for Matson <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> And he says he went out with Gregory Pregory the night before, and Greg and Oscar think he should keep his terrible India inflation data a secret. Oh,
3: I was—I'm glad you caught that because I was going to ask you: Does Greg know about India? But you're right. I think he does. Yeah, because I
2: know he says Oscar, but I think he says they both. No, he does. You're right. Yeah. So I think Shiv realizes again that Matson is a ticking time bomb. He's he's like a literal idiot. Though I am still nervous if we're getting played like the audience is by Matson, you know I'm I'm curious to see what happens. I don't know with him at this point.
3: Like I do think that Matson, like we've talked about since the time he told her about the blood, yeah, and then also just like as he's been. Kind of using Shiv to get to make sure this deal goes through, right? Um, I think that he has been playing her in certain ways, right? Like he immediately brushes off the conversation last episode of her having a very, very, very important (laughs) position in the company, right? Like he's like, "Oh, like I can manipulate this person," yeah. And the kind of like that not being serious people as a Roy child comes back and stings. Stings them. But yeah, I think that so, Matson is manipulating her ultimately. It's right. just that he is also like this flawed kind of fragile like human. So it's weird <laughs> to see someone really go back and forth between these like two extremes.
2: Right. So it's not looking good for Shiv because Matson is volatile like you're saying and also she tries to get Kendall to join her side about trying to get the Democrats to win and Ken is saying shit like well Shiv I agree with you like I'm a good person but I'm also a realist whatever that means Mm -hmm. so she was losing with the whole Kendall being an evil Mark Zuckerberg thing yeah and then with Tom Tom who literally doesn't believe her about her pregnancy or at least what I the way I read it Later, Tom tells Shiv she's unhinged, so she's losing at all, on all sides here. She's losing with her connection to Matson. She's losing with her brother. She's losing with her husband. So kind of a bad L for Shiv and both Matson in this episode with their chest moves. But the only reason I have them this high above Tom and Greg is because the way they end this episode on such a dramatic ending of like Shiv saying we're gonna you know take care of this first
3: I could not believe that Tom even said that like I was
2: oh the unhinged thing yeah
3: just the the fact that he felt like he had like power in the room I mean he got like shut down very quickly watch it Tom yeah you watch it Tom Uh, but I think the the thing that confused me about this episode with what we're talking about with Mattson and is he like does he have power like is he playing her all that stuff is that why would Mattson knowing that he's kind of like playing Shiv and we don't know if he's actually going to give her power. Why is Matsum relying on Shiv to come through in this episode? Like, I mean, that's the confusing part.
2: I think he knows, I think, doesn't she tell him that the Democrats like Jimenez is going to get the deal done. And so, I guess, like that's Okay. The,
3: I guess it's like the same thing of, of last episode, like him relying on her to come through and then he will possibly like throw her under the bus. Well, Cause she
2: end. is an asset. She has an in with Nate. Yeah. And Gil. And so she is talking I guess he to does them. have no
3: political contacts. No, uh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Cause they're not going to kill the Gojo deal. But, and then also the Greg texting him updates. I, I love that. I didn't pay attention, but I would love to see if there were like moments Greg was texting and texting it could have been Matson.
2: Matson, yeah. I didn't pick up on that. And,
3: well, okay. So remember Matson and Shiv are on the phone at the end. And he says, Shiv, don't let them break my toy. Like don't oh, let Roman and Kendall okay. mess this up for me. And, uh, and she's like, everything's fine. I have it under control. I think it's after the Raven head, uh, like wild speech that Roman writes. And, and Matson says like, that's not what Greg's telling me. Greg's telling me things are a little bit hairy. Yeah. So Greg's texting him throughout this whole thing. And that's when they go into the room and Shiv like threatens him. Wow.
2: Okay. (laughs) Uh, all right. Roman and Mencken. So I think on the surface, most people are probably going to be surprised that we have Roman and Mencken below Kendall here, or at least I have him. Do you Well, do you have Kendall as the number one chess moves or do you have Roman? I have Kendall
3: as my number one chess move.
2: Me too. Okay. Okay, And we'll get to that. I guess that's a spoiler for power rankings. I don't know what yours is going to be, but I'm guessing we're going to be at number one there with with Kendall. But I think on the surface, Roman had the best chess move, but I actually think his move benefited Kendall more than him. So Roman's major move was to work on the news narrative around Mencken winning or losing the election. And when Roman goes to speak with Mencken at the hotel or wherever he is, Mencken tells Roman, if I lose, I want it correctly characterized as a huge victory and to say I overperformed. And Roman goes, if you won't be president, you'll be our president. And it's like, exactly. We're speaking the same language here. Evil. Yeah. And for my Marvel heads out there, that was basically Roman saying hail Hydra. So it's
3: true. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel
2: heads. So Roman is manufacturing chaos at ATN, this Whole episode. He's pushing for a narrative around Antifa on the fires in Milwaukee. And he's writing up notes for Ravenhead's call to arms speech. He's pressuring the news of Tom and Darwin. And then he gets what he wants. He gets the Mencken acceptance speech because I guess at the very least, Roman got what he wanted out of Americans to doubt the government and ethics and morals. <laughs> and uh, I guess all for Roman's benefit to make himself feel better about Jerry and Joy and his father. So Armstrong has said that Roman is in the market for her father in this episode. He said it recently on HBO. And I wanted to note that because that's really the chess move here is that Roman wants an authoritarian figure in his life again. Hmm. And that is how he's been like psychologically abused throughout his life is he's been locked up by someone. And so he he kind of wants that energy around him, it seems. So that seems like a net loss chess move for Roman because he's just trying to find another Logan figure in his life who, who happens to be possibly the president. Whereas Kendall... Just wants to keep the company. It doesn't seem like he really wants to form an alliance with any of these political figures. So I think the chess move winner goes to Kendall for that reason.
3: Yeah. Okay. So why don't we... we? You
2: should talk about Kendall because I think yeah. you'll set this up better than me. Because what happens at the end of this episode in the newsroom is wild. It is.
3: It's so good. I...
2: Top five favorite moments in succession. I think. Well, for since me. we
3: kind of already spoiled it, should we go into power rankings and talk about our number one boy? from yeah. there. Okay. You so do that? let's do that. Power rankings from number one to number five this week. Can you read out our ones from last week?
2: Sure. So last week, episode seven, our updated list for season four is number one, Kendall, number two, Matson. number three, Jerry, number four, Shiv and number five, Greg. So wow. Jerry okay. is the one that's there that you pushed me on. that was, you're right. To push me on. but I was like,
3: is it it the last time we're going to see her character? I don't know.
2: Well, we're definitely going to see her at the funeral.
3: Well, yeah, but I just mean like as a player within Waystar.
2: I still think she's going to come back. It's going to be part of my predictions, but I guess we can just talk about it now. I do think it's possible And Kendall ends up potentially running the company at the end of the show, he's going to need the executives on his side to to position the shareholders how he wants them when they vote. To cut the deal down. Because I think that's what he's going to have to do. Or to vote to acquire Gojo, which is what he wants to do now, Mm -hmm. too. So he's going to need Jerry, I think, on his side. And Frank, yeah. So that was our list so far. I think we should keep Kendall as the number one boy. Yeah, you and let's talk why? about why. So yeah. I think
3: Kendall comes out on top because yeah. the kids know that he has the decision to make weirdly here, right? They are all turning to him. Mm-hmm. Like Roman's like Ken, Shiv's like Ken, right? Like Shiv says to Kendall, killing the Gojo deal, that's not the thing, right? Like Kendall, that's not the thing. You're not putting right. the fate of the country on Keeping the company. Yeah, exactly. So they both keep turning to Kendall. And I think that like shows that he is the one who is in power, right? Like, even without having to go to Frank. And the scene with Shiv is so like cringy, tragic, like just crazy. Uh, where he finds out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where he finds out, oh, do you know what actually before we even go there, we didn't talk about him going to to Shiv and saying like Am I a good guy?
2: I addressed it. I mean, it's, I addressed it earlier. It is a, okay. So (laughs) there's a lot of elements to that scene. Do we think that Shiv or sorry, do we think that Kendall was testing Shiv on whether or not she was allied with Matson in that scene?
3: Okay. So uh, the first time we watched it, I thought, yes, because we just got off of last episode. The last thing we heard from Kendall was I want the crown, one head, one crown, love my siblings, not in love with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take this. So I, I went into this episode thinking, okay, Kendall is going to make every move from that viewpoint. Right. But,
2: and he was observing the party and he was like kind of yeah. zooming out. Okay. And well, that's to the see. other
3: thing. We were like, we thought last episode that maybe Kendall does know for sure that Shiv is on Team Matson because of the way he's looming in the background and watching everything.
2: And we thought he maybe thought Roman was more interested in Mankin than he was in trying to keep the yeah. company under the Yeah, And we were name. wrong
3: about him like knowing that Shiv was on Team Matson. But I think we yeah. were at least like right in the idea that you said last episode, like at the very least, he suspects something yeah. is up. And right? it does seem
2: like in this moment where he asks Shiv, Am I a good father? Like it seems like he's emotionally trying to appeal to her. Like what yeah. to, as like weak.
3: Well, it, this, yeah, this is like the, the part, right? Because I, I think he is being honest to a point, right? He's like, I don't know if I'm a good dad yeah, and maybe, you know, the, uh, the poison drips through because I want to do this alone. Yeah. And like, I don't want to lose the family though. That feels like the genuine part. Mm-hmm. But then here's where I can't determine if Ken is making a move because he feels like he's testing her when he says, we all want to stop Matson, Right. That's the thing. Yeah. And Shiv is kind of like, mm, yeah, like nods and Ken goes, <laughs> go on. And that was the part. That's
2: the pause. Where I was go like, on.
3: Oh, okay. Well, maybe, uh, like Did he, he just lure waiting. her waiting. Yeah. He's yeah. waiting to see like what she says. He does suspect something. And Shiv says, whatever the short term corporate gain for us, Mankin's the nightmare. Right. right. And Mankin yeah. needs our call, which she's right. But Ken knows that Shiv is so brutal, like her dad. And so, I think he sees through this kind of like this idea again, we're talking about how far does Shiv's progressive values actually go or her morals go because we've seen her go the other way where she would totally like do whatever is in her own interests, like for ATN or for her power. Like if she were actually included with the brothers, I think, she might be able to see past when she wrote a letter about Kendall
2: like relapsing about his family and all that stuff
3: exactly right like she tries to win in that moment where Roman and Connor are even like we don't want to do that because we feel like we can't come back from that like the stakes of the family like keeping it together isn't something that we want to risk um but anyway Shiv pivots to a place where Ken is like okay I think I see through you Shiv says I don't even think Dad would back him tonight, and that's really the part where Ken's like, okay, something is definitely up because Ken shit. says yeah. <laughs> he picked him. Like, yeah, wait, we're, we can't be honest about who our dad is, like, and and I think that's where we see Shiv like not being able to be straight in these really like pressure cooker situations, um, like like the Pierce dinner, right, right, and so then when he asks her to call Nate. And she actually doesn't call Nate, which is like, uh, just you know, you know, it's gonna blow up, right? And yeah. and Ken finds out when he's like, what? Well, what did Nate say? Like, what did he say specifically? Oh God! And, <laughs> uh. and then when <laughs> when he's like, I'm gonna call him. Like, I'm just gonna call him. Be very direct. Yeah. And she goes, don't call him. And he goes, why? And she says, they're busy. <laughs> I. <laughs> I just can't. The succession is so good. Uh, like Ken outside the office, he doesn't
2: make a face. He just walks on the right phone,
3: out. looking at Shiv through the window as he's finding out that she Jeremy Strong was on to one. Nate. And then Shiv slowly watching, like Ken take that long walk across the hallway to walk over to Greg, yeah, and ask him like, "Hey, is something going on?" That. Oh my, that was like such a, I was sitting on the, I
2: was sitting on the couch, just like my feet on the cushion and like kind of sitting up, like holding the sides of the couch watching that.
3: (laughs) I was like, wait, what? I like
2: couldn't, I was almost standing on the couch watching that. (laughs) Uh,
3: Yeah. Like just Ken unleashing the info also to Roman that she didn't call Nate and she's in with Matson was also really brutal to watch because again, like we've talked about before, Shib does say like. You were just going to push me and Roman out. Yeah. But it's all about the like the way that they're, you know, phrasing it. Like Ken is saying that you were were doing like he has the hand on the conversation, right? Yeah. On the narrative, like that we're talking about this episode. So anyway, just that whole last five minutes is just so such great TV, so cringy, like yeah. makes so much sense for these characters and them like backstabbing each other. But the reason that Kendall is number one boy is because he ultimately um does the sad boy Roy thing from Logan, yeah. right? And he decides to call for Menken, uh because he has his feelings hurt ultimately by Shiv. Like until the last minute, he wants Jimenez to say, I will kill the Gojo deal because he wants to do and per- perform as like the good guy, the good dad that he talks to her about. Yeah. And ultimately that's, I think the the biggest thing is that he's like, really, you're a good guy. You lied to me about being a good guy because I'm already lying to myself that I would not betray <laughs> my daughter. Right. Like, yeah. and, and so I think that's like ultimately what it, what it is. And he ends out on top of this really toxic number one boy ranking.
2: Yeah. It's like number one, scary boy. Yeah. That's what we right. When he says like,
3: it. you know, for crap, people can't cut a deal.
2: Uh, yeah. um, we missed one part from that news moment what was that, it? that newsroom scene between shiv kendall greg tom oh, roman all the people in that room however many people were an outsider in that room when K- kendall comes in there and he's like asking shiv to explain herself oh and yeah. roman is like hearing for the first time that shiv might be playing but because when he says like you know shiv didn't call Nate, and roman goes oh really he's like smiling at shiv yeah. and then ken goes yeah was she's so scary playing with mattson and then roman's like little grin goes like he he drops it immediately he's like what like excuse me
3: the sh- okay the shock of roman yeah
2: and then she gets like i i i I," and then hearing
3: <laughs>
2: jeremy strong mock sarah Snook yeah. was so
3: it was so sibling it too, was so right?
2: sibling but then you finally fully sympathize with whatever the bullshit shiv had to probably deal with when they were growing up yeah. from the boys because they were finally like acting the way that you probably knew they always were going to act, which is like target and corner shiv. And it was just so uncomfortable. I, we use that word a lot, but it is very, very uncomfortable in that moment and just seeing her fall apart and then Tom not help her at all. The one thing I want to say about Kendall is actually the scariest number one boy moment for him is when Tom says, guys, I need you to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And then Kendall says, call it. Yeah. But the way he says it, it's like he's so vengeful in that moment. It's actually scary that he's deciding like the fate, quote unquote, of a culture, not to be dramatic, but on uh, Shiv, not kind of just joining him. Yeah. It's so Well, so uh, that, this gross. is like an
3: interesting kind of motivational difference between Logan and Kendall because they're both killers. But I think yes. Logan. Uh, Kendall
2: more so, I'd, I'd argue. Yeah, yeah.
3: I don't, I don't know about that. Literally,
2: I mean, yeah.
3: I don't know. But I think Logan it makes these decisions and operates from a place of, you disrespected me, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to kill you because of that to make sure you know your place in this hierarchy that I'm creating. Like yes. I'm creating my own narrative that's going to become reality.
2: And Kendall's I think like Kendall, backstabbing, Kendall, Well, emotional. Kendall's
3: more like an emotional, like he makes that decision ultimately because he has his like feelings hurt from Shiv.
2: I think we said once, the season that Logan holds physical scars and Kendall holds emotional scars. And that is how they try to fight other people is like Logan wants to like tangibly ruin people's lives. And Kendall wants to like psychologically traumatize people. And I think that that's probably (laughs) what's going to happen (laughs) the last two episodes when he probably kicks his, his siblings out. So he's the number one boy. It, it, It feels like Kendall wants his siblings to give him a reason to cut their legs out like one head, one crown energy. And the only person who really has that kind of dark energy right now is probably Matson. Yeah. So I think he should go number two.
3: Okay. I have him at number three. Okay. (laughs) I was going to say,
2: is this going to be our first power ranking that we start seeing some real discrepancies and like how we're organizing all of this?
3: Well, okay. Who do you have at number two? I have Greg. (laughs) Wow,
2: Greg's my number three. I just three. think,
3: okay, I think, oh wow, okay. Well, I just think that Greg, like I said, is like a free agent, and he is not connected or like tied.
2: Well, look, look, can I like ask? None you, of, no
3: one has leverage. Can on I ask him? you a
2: logistical, logistical question? Sure. If Gojo does take over ATN and Waystar, okay, if the deal goes through, and Kendall loses the company, yeah, okay, and Matson is now the head of Waystar. He's yeah. new Logan at the end of the show, and Matson makes Greg the head of ATN. Who is our number one boy? Is it Matson? Matson. Okay, and then Greg's number two. Yeah. So in this case, then Greg has to be number three under Matson. Does that make sense? Uh, because okay. there's no way a Greg well, the reason that Greg is going to pass both Kendall and Matson.
3: Okay, so but the reason that I, I th- had I Greg at number two is because, and Matson at number three for me, is because right now Greg is both number two boy for Kendall. And Mattson, this I is think. a good argument because Matson, like, you know, trust Greg, Greg's texting him, uh, throughout the day to give him updates. And then Kendall just got really important information from yeah. Greg, right? Like now he is on, he feels like he, Greg is maybe on his side. So I just felt like Greg is like perfectly kind of playing both sides as far as his moves. And so that's why I put him at number two, because then either way, he's going to be number two and we just switch Matson and Kendall at number one.
2: Shouldn't we wait to do that to the last episode though? All
3: right, that's fine. Yeah. I like
2: what you're saying though. You're kind of stamping it mean, Ultimately, it now.
3: ultimately Mattson, you're right, is like uh, yeah. making Greg feel threatened and like <laughs> scared. So yeah. Mattson, I guess, is number two. So that's cool.
2: Ken, number one. Mattson, number two. Greg, number three. Yeah. Okay, my list I'm is cool looking pretty good right now. Um, now
3: I'm really interested to see what you have because this was tough for me. Number
2: five was kind of easy for me. Number four was tough. Actually, I'm lying. Four through six Number five was, was tough for me. I made a six. I'm not going to, I'll just call it five A.
3: I L- made seven. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. So number four, I have Jerry.
3: But okay. This is the thing. We are going to like put ourselves in a weird bind because it, we could be right that the previous episode was the last time we saw Jerry. She like well, got her, she like got out and she doesn't have to put up with like the BS for yeah. people in this world. And she gets like her money, um, hopefully, and gets to go do whatever she wants to do. So I okay. think,
2: so what, I think what, what's the argument? Well, is Jerry in your top five? No. Okay. Who's your number four?
3: Well, that, but I, that's not because I don't believe Jerry no, I understand. has the, you know, but you're just doing kind to, of like
2: what's likely here is that Greg or Jerry will not be joining Kendall on his team. Yeah. Okay. I, I so. definitely think
3: it could happen. I think it's a good it would be prediction. Cool. Oh, I just think with the information move. we have so far, I don't Fair. know if we want to stamp it. Fair. But I might regret it too. Well,
2: Jerry was our number three last episode, so I just bumped her down once. But I'm yeah. I'm fine kicking her out of the top five, put her at five A. Who do you have it for?
3: I have Roman at number four.
2: I don't have Roman on my list at all. What? I don't think he's playing for number one boy anymore. I know technically he's co-CEO. My guy's got problems. Okay. I know, he's, but I he's think he's trying to recreate Logan in a lab. And it's Jared Mankin, and that's creepy. <laughs> I
3: think that though Roman, I, I agree with you. Like, I'm not sure if he wants like to be the head of the company. Yeah, but I still think there is like he's making these moves. Uh, like again, like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, where he's totally independent, and like whether he truly wants the power or not, um, he is making moves to like get there out of so this toxic like. Uh, emotional like motivation. Sure. I, I think that like so she's and Tom, on the list.
2: Shiv and Tom, one of those people you have underneath Roman. Who is it? Who didn't make it on your list? Shiv or Tom?
3: Oh, I have, um, I have Shiv. On number 5 mm-hmm.
2: And you have Tom off your list.
3: And then I have Frank and then I have Tom.
2: Frank's above Tom.
3: Yeah, because Frank, Kendall literally said, I hey, you. I need you. But
2: does that make him number one boy though? Because Jerry, I think wants to be CEO. She's been interim CEO.
3: Uh, you know? Okay.
2: Okay. So this is what I think should happen. I think we should.
3: Yeah. Tell me your argument.
2: I think Shiv should be number four. Okay. I think Shiv should be number four. Uh, I think you're shi-
3: right. Shiv. You know what? Shiv obviously wants to be number one boy more than Roman. Yeah. Okay. I'm cool with that.
2: Yeah. So Shiv number four, Roman number five.
3: Well, the re- okay. So the reason that I think Roman's here is that Kendall is going to have to kill Roman and that's going to be the hardest thing. Like, if the Matson deal falls through, and yeah. he really does want one head, one crown, he's going to have to kill Roman. And how is he going to kill Roman if Mankin only wants a relationship with Roman?
2: So the only reason I bring this up is because, so Shiv and Roman both know something about Kendall. Mm-hmm. He maybe killed someone. It's it's complicated. Yeah, and so. <laughs> When Shiv said, hey, I'm going to write up some words and send them to Matson, Oh I'm like, Ugh. oh, okay. she's, you know, we have evidence that she's written some pretty wild things and put them out there in the public about Kendall. So I feel like I agree with you that Roman is probably higher than I probably had him. I just felt weird keeping Tom out of the top five, considering how scared I am of, of Tom. <laughs> yeah. I'm very scared of Tom. Um, so I, I think maybe Shiv at number four, Roman at five. We can I'm agree on that. cool
3: with that. Yeah, I think okay. Tom, like I did want to put Tom on my list. I like I wanted to because he's of five A on my list. Five A. What comes after nine A, nine B, nine. But I think that I think that Tom is a player just because he is a fighter. Like yeah. he's he is scary. Pitbull. You're right. And I don't I don't know. Okay. but he, The thing is that he missed the opportunity to be in with Matson and Greg here. I almost want to like put Shiv at number three instead of. Greg, but I feel like oh, never mind. Okay, let's do let's do that. Let's stamp that. Okay, number one, Kendall.
2: Kendall. Number two, Matson. Number three, Greg. That's great. Wild for Greg. Good looks for Greg. Number four, <laughs> I have. Wait, that's not right. Yeah, Shiv. number four, Shiv. Number five, Roman. So Ken, Matson, Greg, Shiv, Roman. All right. So those are the power rankings. And then
3: Tom through episode Frank eight and Jerry of season four, circling at the at the bottom.
2: Okay, extra credits.
3: Okay, so my extra credit is the. Emotional motivation and rationale that Jesse Armstrong writes for these characters, I think it's mm-hmm. what makes the story so compelling. Besides the satire, you know, of our culture, yeah, is these like moments where Kendall says, "Okay, well, because we ate chicken so much growing up, I have to like the fascists, yeah, <laughs> right?" Like those moments, or like spilling like milk in the Range Rover, and yeah. like these siblings knowing each other, and it all being these kind of like emotional motivations or triggers from when they were growing up and the are, fate all these regrets
2: of, are like, um, kind of grudges, exactly. sorry, not regrets, grudges that they hold.
3: Yeah. And, and seeing the fate of the country, like be at the whim of those, those things is so genius in the writing, like to bring up those moments and not to like overdo it. Right. It's just these like small sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Also, I just love the sibling tension of Either embracing the Roy identity and legacy or distancing themselves from it. I think there's a really great spectrum that Jesse Armstrong puts like Roman, Shiv, and Kendall on. Roman, like we said, is like full Sith Lord. He says, We just <laughs> made a good night of TV. Yeah. And Shiv is compartmentalizing her identity and calling Tom a conservative last episode. She's watching PGN in a room alone. Yeah. While her reality is actually ATN. So I think that was great writing too. And if the siblings like included her, right, maybe then she would be full ATN and like spin that narrative narrative to rationalize her power plays. But then Kendall part of that, because they were going
2: to do the 100 together. They were going to make it work and that's all they had to do.
3: Yeah. And then Kendall, right. Obviously saying like, he's a guy we can do business with. Yeah. And he's kind of this in-between of shivan Roman, um, of rationalizing the awful things that he's doing. I think that was, I, I just like the spectrum that Jesse Armstrong creates with these characters.
2: So I have two extra credits, one small, one big. The small one actually has a little bit to do with what you're talking about, which is giving small extra credit to the writers being able to get American audiences to have a moral panic attack on how to consume succession in this past episode. And just watching all of these vile characters come to life as, like, fully evil, fully developed evil characters. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we understand cancel culture to be sort of a myth for powerful figures, and it's basically been parodied at this point, I think normal people are, like, middle class, working class writers, critics, podcasters – of film and television are genuinely worried to have a feeling or opinion about succession right now because of what just happened in this episode and seeing what I saw on social anecdotally, but it did seem pretty like far and wide where people were trying to backtrack things that they've said about the characters. Well, it's like
3: we talked about, I think last pod or we the one before part. I, all over my social, I saw like all these articles with the headline, like Roman Roy is the most emotionally intelligent yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I, I mean, I think that's that's a credit to the writing, um, getting people to buy in that much and, and kind of sympathize with characters that are morally complicated and then turn to be actually have always been evil. And in a long form art like a television show like this, that's the only way you can really do this. So I think it's the, the best, the, maybe the only time I've ever seen a reaction like this where... A writing room creates a collective social media mess, I'm assuming intentionally, by leading audiences to sympathize and then kind of like try to forgive themselves for sympathizing with these characters and getting people to basically virtue signal their morals and and politics so they're not criticized on social media. I've just like never seen that before from television or film. I don't think I have. I mean, it's pretty wild watching people be like, what I meant to say Three months ago, about Roman being, and Jerry being cute together, <laughs> it's like that's. I mean, I understand why people said it in the moment, and even though we were uncomfortable about that, and that's why we never we were always well, kind of we always aware viewed it. it as like
3: sexual satire. harassment. Yeah. Well, well yes. Satire of, of yeah of
2: what wealthy people get away with. Yeah, and so that's my small extra credit, just going to the writers, kind of creating this like mess. Um, it really helps the show with marketing, I think. But my real extra credit goes to the Greg and Jess scene, which we didn't talk about today. Oh yeah. It's short, but I think it's very weighty and I think it means a few different things, so let's go ahead and play that scene and then talk about it. Fuck.
0: You okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh I, I I have to go um tell them I think we're calling it for Mencken. Wow. Yeah. So I should I should right. I should go. Yeah. I'll get in trouble yeah. if I don't go. Okay, dude. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not really my choice, right? So sure. I mean, right, yeah. Yeah, I'm just pressing the button or I'm not even pressing the button. I'm, j- I'm asking them to prepare to press the button,
1: right? And all that does is just like launch a nuclear attack.
0: <laughs> so. It's not going to change anything if I don't go. So a couple minutes. So, I mean, right, you know, right. You- Realistically, <sighs> wow. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy one.
2: So, on rewatch, I think the Greg and Jess scene is supposed to represent the ways young people rationalized voting for Donald Trump in 2016. And almost like recontextualizing the narrative around their vote and saying they were just like choosing the lesser of two evils Mm. or how Greg puts it to Jess, I'm just pressing a button or I'm not even pressing the button.
3: Yeah. He's like, it's not really like my choice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm just asking them to to prepare to press the button.
3: Yeah. To which she says, like, right, which the button will launch a nuclear attack, which Mm -hmm. I, I I like that take because it did really feel like the rationalizing, like, well, I'm a part of this, like yeah. I'm complicit, but it's not me. It's not just me. Like it's not, I'm not my pulling choice. The yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's, I think that's a good read of that that scene.
2: Yeah, it was kind of like Greg casting his vote for an authoritarian, and he was like blindly casting the vote because he has the privilege to not really be affected by a culture dominated by figures like Mencken. So, I really kind of got set back to like 2016 for a second yeah, in that moment in his specifically. Face. Yeah. Because of, yeah, exactly. Because of the performance, and you can really see, I feel like we've seen so many people like the way Greg acted when he walked away from Jess. When we were seniors in college, that's when Trump won. And when you heard people our age openly talk about how they voted for him, like our friends or random people we met in bars they said it was like very casually like acting kind of innocently about their vote like almost offensive too if they were asked more than once about it yeah and that is kind of how greg is acting in this moment so it's a great performance in that yeah, way it's this
3: idea of guilt and then like rewriting the the narrative
2: yeah and i think if you watch that scene again and look at greg and zoom out a little bit as this product of like nepotism that the show is trying to do thematically and He has these frat boy qualities that he's always had that are just coming out because now he has power and he's a disgusting brother. And he's also someone who's burned documents of cruise line survivors. And then you look at Jess and it's a great juxtaposition because this is a character who has been covering for Ken's bullshit for like four seasons, trying to help him get Mm -hmm. it together along the way. She's also one of the only people of color on succession. And both characters are wearing red and blue. Like Greg is wearing a Republican red tie. And then you have Jess in the blue outfit. Like, oh yeah, the imagery is is really, I think, obvious. But I don't think your anybody's first takeaway from the scene is, oh, this is supposed to about be about people's consequences of their vote and having that kind of power, and then like their defense mechanisms built into like voting. So I think the writing, staging, and performances in this moment, really the silence of the scene in certain parts of that scene too, is the best recreation of what it was like to find out one of your. Peers voted for a person you knew was going to like try to rip a culture in half. So that was one of the best moments of this episode that I don't think a lot of people are talking about.
3: Yeah. And I think that it also goes back to Jesse Armstrong's like satire with Greg's character in Mm -hmm. that when he first finds out that he's going to work at ATN under Tom, he says, like, well, this was like my worst nightmare to work at ATN because of my principles. I forgot about that. And yeah. he says, and then Tom's like, what are your principles? And he's like, well, uh, racism? I guess I'm against racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And And then Tom is like, Greg, like, you know, but, but this is like the part where we see the consequences of Greg, you know, morally posturing and mm-hmm. we see him, uh, maybe in a different position than the siblings, but like the idea, of even who you like decide to work for, right? Right, is like a, a part of this whole has real
2: world implications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I
3: think like it was great to have it go like all the way back to where we saw Greg as a different character and like really capitalize on this idea of him being like a disgusting brother, not only in the sense of like what he does outside of work, but yeah.
2: he, in a sense he's kind of becoming Kendall a little bit yes, performative yeah. in his actions. All right, predictions a few quick ones. I'm going to roll back my take on Kendall dying next to his father (laughs) in the funeral. (laughs) Yeah, Kelsey was right. Bad take. I just thought it would be like dramaturgically would make a lot of sense (laughs) for my Jeremy Strong heads out there. Uh, So I think Kelsey's right. He'll rise as a probably more evil Logan. I think that's good. Now I'm
3: not sure about that though. I don't know.
2: Well, do you think he's going to buy out Gojo with Frank and hire Jerry or do you think he's going to kill both his siblings?
3: I feel like... My, okay, in my heart, I think that Kendall will end up on top. And again, like I said last episode, in my prediction, it will be a tragic arc for Ken to okay. kill his siblings. They would be ostracized to him. That whole thing of him saying he doesn't want to like blow up the family mm-hmm. aspect is going to happen, just how Logan you know, is estranged from Ewan. Yeah. And I, I think that's when it's what's going to happen in my heart because we've been watching Kendall since episode one, right?
2: Yeah, so Roman and Shiv becoming the new Ewan and Kendall becoming the new Neo Logan.
3: Yeah, but I could also see Mattson taking the company and us ending on a similar shot of the episode where Kendall calls in to overthrow his father at the vote of no confidence, right, episode, and he fails, and then he's, like, standing out in the middle of the street as which side are you on plays, you know, that that episode. I could also see that happening.
2: That would be fitting. It would be a good through line.
3: Yeah, but then I feel like it would be so unsatisfying to see the family not in power, but also maybe that's something Armstrong wants to do. Like I could also, I could see both of these things realistically happening.
2: I don't think Matson is going to actually buy out the company because I think Jesse Armstrong is just trying to like make a comment on how a lot of tech bloated tech companies that are built on growth and stock market valuations are full of shit in their data. Like Netflix having a new Netflix movie every month. And a newsletter coming out and saying, wow, our Netflix movies broke the records again this month. And every (laughs) month they're like breaking records for 65 million views of this random Netflix movie that's a period piece that nobody's definitely seen. (laughs) Um, So I think Jesse Armstrong is just trying to like make a comment on these bloated tech companies that are trying to buy out legacy media companies that are also full of shit. But like the media companies have so much like stake and and debts. And so they're so attached to our economy. That's going to be impossible to like really take them over. So I think that isn't going to happen. I don't think Matson's going to take over. Okay. I mean, that's my prediction. Now with Shiv, do you have any thoughts on what's going to happen with her and Tom or the potential abortion or miscarriage that I'm just kind of speculating about?
3: I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I do think that Tom and Shiv could get back together.
2: Do we want that?
3: No, no. Okay. I mean, they have a very toxic relationship, but it would be And they've be been married for like purely, a year. purely, <laughs> yeah, transactional. Um I I could see basically a situation where Greg and Mattson are on a team, Tom and Shiv are trying to I I don't know.
2: Yeah. You don't don't have to predict anything. It's hard. It just doesn't look great for them. But my point, my reason for asking was because of my...
3: I'm just saying like Tom's a loose end. So I don't know where he's going to go from here unless he's going to team up with Kendall. But
2: I honestly have no read on Tom, but with Shiv, with the siblings, and I've said like the kind of fall, death, and rise. I'm assuming next episode is going to be her rise. And it's going to be like full Shiv, which is why she's called Shiv from Jesse Armstrong's perspective is that she's going to like knife someone in the back. Okay. And he said... That she's the most like Logan. So I'm assuming next episode is going to be like her evil character moment. Mm, okay. So we'll Where see. she could
3: release the, the information, the information on, on Kendall. Yeah. Okay. And
2: she knows the stuff about Roman, and Kendall does. That's doesn't. also true. So that's pretty big.
3: Does Ro- Kendall not know about Roman? We don't Roman?
2: know if Kendall knows right. about Roman. Okay. But we kind of t- talked about that a couple episodes that's, ago. I
3: think that's a great take.
2: Roman, he's making a speech he is at his father's funeral. Do we think Willa is going to write the speech? <laughs>
3: <laughs> will is the family speech. Or do you writer, think
2: Roman's actually going to give it? Do you think it's going to be maybe like a, Connor last second?
3: Oh, oh, like there could be
2: he, something that happens. I
3: don't know. Uh, I think that I hate the predictions, but I okay. think that Roman will give the speech, or he, or okay, he might do the same thing with the flight suit, yeah, where he backs out because he just can't handle it. Like it might be the thing where he's like looking out uh, after like behind the curtains, Mm -hmm. uh, the school play and being like, there are too many people out there. (laughs) Someone go make this. That is very Roman. Yeah.
2: Um, okay. Mencken, you think he's going to block the deal? Yes. Yes. I think he's not going to block the deal. Oh,
3: the gojo deal. Yeah.
2: I think he's playing Roman.
3: Oh, okay.
2: So I think he tells the American people in his final president speech that he doesn't believe in transactional relationships. And I think that was Mm -hmm. purposely written because he just made a transaction behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. Now that could mean that our presidents are lying to us.
3: Yeah, I thought it was more a comment. Criticizing us
2: for things that we need and then they do things behind closed doors. So that could be a comment, but I also think it would be kind of interesting and spicy if like Mankin actually is like, I'm not helping you guys, but now I'm going to be president elect possibly. So just a thought for listeners.
3: Yeah, but he still needs them to spin the narrative for him. So I can't imagine in two episodes, he's going to say, no, just kidding. I'm not supporting you guys like we aren't we no longer have an agreement because then they'll just push all their support from atn and their news network into the narrative for jimenez and how That's i mean true. well actually they can't though because then they would have to eat their words for calling wisconsin so oh yeah
2: and there's gonna be lawsuits it too, could be wisconsin, so, so actually you really could be that. right
3: about the bind that they're in
2: okay last part last one who will be at the funeral Marsha?
3: everyone carry the major cultural and political players and corporate players in the whole world can i put
2: this out there though yeah. marcia carrie holly hunter's character oh
3: i forgot to holly hunter
2: character from that's Jane, true yeah all in the same row
3: i forgot to make a take about Marsha. <laughs> okay last episode
2: see this is what predictions are for yeah got it. and
3: so at the very beginning of this whole series we know that Marsha has some sort of thing in the will where she has double voting power mm-hmm. are i did that get signed that was in season
2: one yeah yeah
3: or, or like, did something happen where I, I don't think it got signed in that episode or that season, but when Marsha comes back and Logan needs her to have a good image, that's in
2: season three, right? Yes.
3: Um, she gets a, a the, whatever deal she wants. Huge right? deal. Signed. Apparently. Yeah. Like money, like after, a great lawyer, and we don't know what else is in that deal. And it could very well be that she just like, th- she
0: could,
2: is she's the, the number one boy
3: yeah <laughs> do we are we mis- having Missing a mistake Marcia? of Marsha not being on our number one boy
2: oh that'd be that'd ranking? be crazy yeah um and then the pierces at logan's wedding invited not invited do they at come Do they not funeral. come He said wedding and uh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> funeral and then stewie
3: stewie who's got to be there yeah yeah got to be there
2: all right uh last point we have heard nothing about logan's autobiography or biography that's being written the season.
3: Oh, that's true too.
2: So there's also a podcast that's been digging up his past. That's
3: true we too. We have heard anything yeah. about
2: that. I really, guys, I really tried to like
3: point out <laughs> everything I could
2: for predictions because we're in the last two episodes, and I love this show and I love talking about it. And I want to make sure we've covered all our bases. All right, that was the extra credits of season four, episode eight. America decides where they did not decide anything, but that is the <laughs> name of the episode. Spider Man rewatch for our podcast check our letterbox we're almost done yeah it's so fun it's so much fun these last three with tom holland are way better than i thought they were going to be on rewatch um we're gonna do a big episode for spider-man dropping next week and our mailbag is on its way too also don't forget to follow our podcast on spotify and apple and shoot us five stars we're an independent show and we appreciate your support Let us know what you like about our show and Apple reviews if you can.
3: Yeah, it helps us get found on the algorithm, so we appreciate it. It's
2: a big help. Also, on Spotify, there will be a poll you can answer where we want to know who you predict will finish the season as the number one boy.
3: Is it going to be Mattson or Ken?
2: Uh, Maybe we'll put some other people on there, too, so people can have some choices. We'll we'll put some of our people from our ranking on there. Could you see
3: Roman taking it over? No. Okay. No, I'm out on (laughs) Roman. All right. We just
2: made a really good night of podcasting. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next week. This has been Trey.
3: And this is Kelsey. Peace. Bye. Everyone's just going to be like, Kelsey was all over the place in that ranking. (laughs) Can Roman, but can Ship?
2: But can Ship? Can Marsha? Can Marsha be number one boy? (laughs)